All right, everybody, here we go. Episode number 66 of Sports Cards Live. Welcome to you all. Before we get started, I do want to thank last Wednesday's guest, Panini's Tracy Hackler. The guy came out. He took some questions. He did his best. He, he was awesome. Maybe wasn't didn't have all the answers for all the questions, but boy, was he willing to, to give it his best and uh, really answer questions for all the collectors out there. So thanks again to Tracy Hackler for joining me last Wednesday. And this past Saturday was awesome. Sportsnet's Ken Reed, anchor, author, passionate card collector. He was on. We had a great discussion. It was awesome. And then on After Hours, Basketball Card Fanatic Magazine's Adam Gray joined me. Another, well, that one went long. We got into some interesting topics. Really a must watch, a must listen. I think we got into some of the more uh, sensitive type topics that uh, aren't really spoken about much in the hobby. So I'll let you go check that out. This coming Saturday, Former NHL goaltender and local card shop owner Joe Daly will be joining me on the show with his son, Travis Daly. They've been running Joe Daly Sports Cards in Winnipeg for 30-something years now. One of my original LCSs back in the day. And uh, yeah, if you are new to the show, I want to welcome you. And if you haven't yet, please subscribe to the YouTube channel. Almost 1,550 subscribers. So I want to thank all of you guys who have hit that subscribe button already. I greatly appreciate it. I want to shout out the podcast listeners. Sports Cards Live is available on podcasts. We have great listenership on the podcast formats. So thank you to all of you who do watch that. If you're not yet following the big three sports cards on Instagram, please go give these guys a follow. They're supporting the show. They're supporting the channel. They are on the ticker right now. You won't want to, you, you'll enjoy following them. They, It's nice stuff these guys post. So go ahead and check them out on Instagram. All right. Let's bring out tonight's guest who really doesn't need an introduction. You guys all know him as Leaf CEO, Brian Gray. You are live. How are you doing tonight, buddy? Hey, how you doing, Jeremy? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. I mean, <laughs> this uh, this is an episode that, you know, I knew we'd have a good show even before the big announcement that PSA and Collector's Universe was being acquired. But that news really just made this episode, I think, that much more exciting for me because, hey, this is, in my opinion, the biggest news in the hobby in a decade, maybe since Panini got a basketball exclusive. I, I don't know. This, to me, is humongous news. And we got to talk about it and see what people think, see what you think, Brian. So why don't you start, start us off with a few uh, opening comments on the whole situation? I mean, yeah, it's a big deal. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I think, um, you know, I was just thinking before we went on, the biggest acquisition in the history of the hobby, to my knowledge, was Topps. With, you know, Upper Deck made some stupid offer that wasn't legit, but I mean, it sold for 360 or 340, whatever million it sold for. We're talking about double that here. You know, that's pretty mind blowing. I mean, we're talking about numbers that really, you know, it really solidifies and, and confirms what I've tried to yell from the mountaintops for three years is that this bull market is coming. Now it's here. When I started shouting it, the beginnings were just percolating, you know, but now this is proving the reality that we are in a new place. This hobby will never be what it was. And, you know, at the industry summit recently, I spoke and I just said, if you, just because we started in a flea market in a, as a hobby, we don't have to live there forever. It's time to move on. And these guys are not spending this kind of money because this is, just a hobby anymore or just a fad or just, or just a fad yeah this is this is the real move that we've waited 
for me since 1987. This is the move I've dreamed of, where cards would become wine, art, pick your alt investment. Cards have finally become that. That's yeah. exciting. I mean, that's exciting. It is. And you know what? It's kind of funny because for a lot of us old time collectors who've been doing it for a long time, who love, you know, the whole the whole span of cards, like, you know, I I, I say I, I would say that it's a joke, but it's not a joke. You know, I collect 1888 to 2020. I collect 132 years worth of cards. I'm interested in all of it. So for a lot of us who really love and appreciate the cards for what they are, how they look, what they represent, the evolution of the technology that's been used to print and produce them over the years, the way they've been sold, what they've been packaged with, how they've been packaged, who's been making them, what's been represented. I mean, it, it's been like that for some of us for a long time. But I think what you're saying is that now the the greater market, the greater economy is starting to recognize it as such. Is that uh, kind of what you're thinking? Oh, yeah. I've got friends that are pouring in huge amounts of money. They have been for over a year now. And they're not just buying shiny guard, you know, shiny stuff, you know, shiny cardboard. They're buying serious vintage. And if you look, all that vintage stuff is moving. We talked about it when I was on last time. You know, the hockey's made a move since last time we were here for sure. But even like Rice's and Montana's and Marino's and Elway's and Akeem's and Ewing's and Barclays and Jordan's, and it's all made a big move. And it's because the people who are bringing huge money in, they're not just buying Prism. As much as we all, that's all we talk about anymore is buying Prism, Prism, this, this, with great brand. But there are people still buying real cardboard, like actual cardboard. Yeah. Without gloss Absolute on paper. Yeah. Without, without, without loads of gloss or shine or refractor or whatever it is, you know? And so the, I just know people pouring tons of money in. And it's just, they're not ignorant people. They're very smart Goldman Sachs people. They're people who know, who know this alt investment category. And once they, you know, once you get into it and you you may start off with the who's hot today, the Lucas, the Zions, that kind of thing, the Alexis Lafreniere is now in Upper Deck Series 1 hockey. You might, you know, people are looking for all that stuff. But once they have it, where where do you go? You can only go backwards, really. I mean, we're going to get, we're going to move forwards too automatically, but you can go backwards and fill in other spots. What, do, you, do you think that's happening? Yeah, I think, um, I think, yeah, I think they are buying new stuff, obviously. I'm going to fix my camera a little bit here. Sorry. Um, you know, I think they are buying new stuff. And I think they are chasing some of these new assets because, honestly, that's the most volatile assets, no doubt. But, you know, again, it's there's an infinite amount of old stuff, a limited amount of new stuff. And in this crazy market we're in, there's really not a great value proposition on some of this new stuff. I mean, Zion's managed to go up recently, but he was never a cheap buy-in. John Morant was never a cheap buy-in. And you see no. that baseball, the best baseball prospects. Jason Dominguez is not a cheap buy-in. Robert Paulson is not a cheap buy-in. Bobby Witt's not a cheap buy-in. None of these guys are cheap buy-ins anymore. So it's you pay high and they go higher or they bust. But most of the time lately, it feels like everything just goes higher. It doesn't even matter. So, yeah, we, you know, it, it, I just think this money, I think the money's going to pour in with the, the hot basketball assets substantially. And then diversify from there because the basketball is what's getting all the headlines. The big Giannis is the Jordans, the you know whatever it is. You know, that's where all the big asset, all the big money is hearing about these golden auctions or hearing these numbers that are mind blowing. They're sickening numbers, and I think I think they start there because they hear that, and then they move to undervalued assets, which is pretty much everything else besides basketball. 
Yeah, well, you know, we, we've happened, we, you, you mentioned golden auctions, we've happened and heritage auctions, we've seen these auction houses offering these spectacular pieces almost one after the other. So, you know, good hustle by these auction houses to be able to, to acquire these pieces in order to sell them for their for their clients. I mean, that's obviously brought a ton of attention. Ken Golden's on TV on a regular basis, you know, promoting the hobby. And it's, it's, it's a big part of it. Well, here's the thing. I've been getting the Heritage Catalog for 20 years. And if you go back and look, three years ago, in, a, in their big, like, monster auction, if there were two cards printed in the last decade, that would have been a miracle. The upcoming auction, there's 150 big cards from the last decade. That's all you need to see. You don't even have to believe them. Just, you have to see that they're taking very valuable real estate in that catalog. And the new cards belong right next to Ty Cobb baseballs and, you know, Honus Wagner first day covers and whatever it is that's in these catalogs nowadays. You know, the crazy crap they have in there, you know, Babe Ruth's game on Jersey. These new cards rival those kind of assets. It's crazy. You know, it's, it's crazy. crazy. It's great. So listen, we're going to dive into the, the PSA uh, transaction here in a couple seconds. Let's just welcome everybody to the show. Brian, take a second. Think about what we're going to talk about in terms of the deal. Uh, we got a, some. We got some, a few angles we were going to get at. So I just want to welcome Rondell. Welcome to the show. The gang's all here. It is showtime. Legion, welcome to the show. The hype is real. Chris West is here. Good evening to you. Brent Turman, hello, hello. Paul Whiting's here. Charles, let's go. Joe's here as always. Welcome, Joe. We got Irving in the house. We got Ziggy in the house. Mike is here. Absolute. Good evening to you. Hello, Paul White. Hello, Matt14K. Brian's one of your favorite guests. So informative. Always hot tips on the on what to buy. Uh, this isn't a this isn't a channel that tells you what to buy, but you know what? Brian Brian keeps no secrets about what he's buying. So and he he's got some success. So I don't I, I won't uh, I won't tell you not to to follow his lead at all. Jay Z is now. So welcome to the show, my friend. Absolute BG third time on SCL. Yeah, that's I think third three is the most. Maybe a couple of ties there. Jose, welcome to the show. Sports card radio are dip. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm trying to whip through these, trying to whip through these, Brian. So you know, was good. Get, out there, get out in front of me. All right, Jason, welcome to the show. The question is, will they flip it in a few years? Good question. Well, Brian, re remember that one. Let's come back to that. Terry Fortune, good evening to you. Yam is in the house. Yam, welcome to the show. Ron Dell, cards are now legit. Paul Cashman is here. Hello to you. Here, Ziggy says, what is the estimated market value of Top Deck Panini America today? The acquisition also adds value to BGS and SGC. I think there are more big deals coming in 2021. We are definitely going to talk about further mergers and acquisitions activity in the hobby. And, uh, and I am interested to get into the comment that Ziggy makes here about the acquisition of PSA adds value to BGS and SGC. Brian, think about that. We'll come back to it. Anonymous Facebook user, good evening to you. Peter Chow, 52 watchers already. What's your high, Jeremy? Not even sure, Peter. It's been over 100 before, though, at any given time. Thank you. Steve Elmore, welcome to the show. Cardboard Max, welcome. Matt Chang is here. Tiger Jordan, my uh, sports cards live, my must watch of the week. Really appreciate that, Tiger. Thank you so much. Rondell says, I guess us card collectors are a little smarter than the Wall Street crowd. We were here to the party first. <laughs> I'm with you on that, Rondell, 100%. Joel Alpert's in the house. Welcome, Joel. Good to see you, buddy. Jeff McMahon, good evening to you. Orvie's in the house. Good evening, Jason. Roy GBV, Aloha, Jeremy and Brian. How's it? It is good. It is good, my man. Tim Marin's in the house. Charles Fuchs, another Facebook users. What's crack a lack? And I love it. Absolutely. <laughs> hit the th 
Mike, very, very courteous. With a lot of courtesy, likes to remind everybody to hit the thumbs up, subscribe to the channel. I appreciate that, Mike. Thank you so much. The Chinner is in the house. Looking forward to the show as well. Ryan Winters, Vincent, Ziggy with the comments. Would would love your thoughts on the investment group led by Matt Nat Turner. How much was not Nat's money? And it's not not Nate. Just to clarify, who do you think said no? Who else is watching? Who knows? But we'll come back to some of this. Snow Dog. How about some softball questions? Yeah, because I got I got I got a hardball pitcher right here across from me, uh, Snow Dog. Let's just mute you though. Put let's just block you actually. He is now blocked. I don't like that comment. Cardboard Max, PS, that's a nice one. PSA 9.5. Is that a new grade point we may see? I doubt it, but who knows? Matt 14K, thanks for the video on the Acuna and car rookies. How come you haven't posted any more videos? That's to you, Brian. You want to anything on that? I'll say real quick. Honestly, we're barely hanging on at Leaf because we are too busy. And I am, I mean, honestly, I don't see my family anymore. That's how busy we are. So like every waking moment, I'm working to try to make sure we get these products out and everything happens. And we're signing so many deals. We've signed celebrities and athletes in the last month. I'm like, holy crap, we are killing it. And so we're doing great, but I just haven't had time to do the little passion things like that. But I will do a video this next week, 100% just for you, Matt. There you go. Love it. All-time grades, Vincent in the house. Welcome, Vincent, to the show. Randall G., good to see you. Thanks to Joel. Yeah, Joel's been on the show before. EMC7, hello to you. Matt K., the card collectors here. Chris West, Jeremy with a stone-cold stunner. Absolute. Where do I send my resume? Okay, welcome, everybody. This is going to be fun now. We've done our intro. We've had said our hellos, Brian. Let's get into this. Let's get into this thing. I mean, Matt Turner, I don't know him personally. I've congratulated him on Instagram. I think a lot of people have. I'm happy for the guy. He's a collector. He's a collector that has resources. And um, obviously, I saw a funny meme. It's like, you know, here we are. We're buying we're buying PSA 10 Lucas. We're buying PSA 10 Crosbys. And Nat's buying PSA. Now, I my initial response to the whole thing was, this is awesome. We've got a, we've got a guy. He's young too. He's 34 years old is my understanding. So he's got a lot of years ahead of him to, to really do something with this company. And he has a collector's mentality. He, he's the guy that buys the card, not the grade. He's a guy that loves owning cards. I follow him on Instagram. I have for a couple of years. Loves his cards. Loves the hobby. I believe in um, Adam Gray's article in uh, interview with, with Nat in the Basketball Card Fanatic Magazine issue number two. Nat said that he spent something like, I think it was three hours a day doing hobby activities, which tells me the guy's a hobbyist. And if you're a hobby, I believe, I believe, and I don't know him. So this is just my belief. This is the perception I have is that he has the best intentions in mind. He wants to see the hobby thrive. He loves the hobby like all of us do. Just happens to have resources where he can actually make a difference. And I think there's nobody better to steer the ship at a company like PSA. And I understand that it's Collector's Universe that was acquired, the parent company PSA, but for all intents and purposes, everyone in the room here, we care about PSA. We don't really care about coin grading and, and whatever else, whatever other activities they do. And who knows if the new ownership group is gonna care about that either. That's another question for maybe later on. All that said, Brian, what were your initial response? Those are my initial responses to when I first heard about it. I was excited. I can't tell you. I'm excited. How about you? Very excited. I mean, I think I've known for a long time there was value there. And, you know, I always have a story, which I'll be happy to share one in a few minutes once we get into it about PSA. 
and potentially, you know, looking at an opportunity there. But um, I just think the number, I, I think it's a number the hobby hasn't seen outside money, which again, I like I, I've been screaming, outside money is pouring in. It's not just the actual cards. If the cards are that good, people are going to want every bit of this industry they can get their hands on. And they're going to buy all the different types of businesses in the industry. They're going to buy the leaders and all those different and all those different parts of the industry to the extent you can buy them. Some of them can't be bought, but I think you're going to see massive acquisition because of it. this is a first step. This is not the one big deal that everyone's going to talk about for the next 10 years. There's going to be a lot of deals, but to see one this size go down this fast and it's just I'm telling you, this is the validation we all, I knew it, but some people still needed this validation. Yeah, they needed need to see this is legit. You, you know, I don't know how many more times to say it. No one listens. We're at this, we're still in the second inning of a nine inning game. Like the pitchers are just loosening up still a little bit. Let them get a little deeper with it. You know, get in their groove. We got a long way to go, kiddo. We're going to have some ups and downs on the way to the end, but we have not even come close to peaking in the excitement in the category. So, I mean, I just think I think this is a huge deal. I was so excited. I was excited just because it proves what I – it proves like the – when you come up with a hypothesis or a thesis for how you think things are going to play out over a five-year period, and, like, you start to see the pieces falling into place. But when, like, someone – a big hammer comes down and snaps everything into place, you say, that was the moment. This is the moment. You're witnessing the moment. Things are never going back to the way they were. Never. Until I agree, it's over. When, when the world goes up in flames someday because of global warming and there's no people left, I can't I can't speak for them. But while there's people, this category is for real. For real. Yeah, and you're right, Matt. You have been sort of uh forecasting this for a couple of years now. And uh you've mentioned on the show. I agree with you. This is this is a big moment in the hobby because let's face it i mean psa is very important in the hobby they're they're not the only grading company we've got beckett grading services we've got sgc we've got the soon-to-be csg let's let's take a second well let's take a few minutes actually and let's talk about what does this mean to each of those companies each of those grading companies from the perspective of are they now potential acquisition targets is the nat turner investment group going to go after additional entities and bring them all under one umbrella. What what does it mean to these guys? Let's start with Beckett Grading Services, the biggest competitor in the in the in the space besides, you know, along with PSA. What does this mean for Beckett Grading Services? I mean, I think honestly their valuation just got a lot better. Um, I know that people have tried to buy companies like that. You know, there've been calls and they're not getting sold, I don't think. So, I mean, PSA was the easiest to buy because they're a publicly traded company. That doesn't make it easiest because there's going to be some back and forth on was the price high enough or whatever. But at the end of the day, a publicly traded company is for sale by its very nature. The shares are out there every day. Anyone else you buy, you have to convince them that it's a deal that makes sense for them. And it's not as simple as you think. So to me, Beckett just got a lot more valuable. I'd love to be in a position to own the equity in Beckett because – if I did, I would be counting my money right now because they are infinitely more valuable than they were a week ago. Their grading arm, though, right? The grading well, services. The business, well, I mean, the business is probably grading to a substantial. I mean, and their autograph authentication has taken over. They're number one in autograph authentication now. I believe they moved ahead of PSA and JSA. I wouldn't be shocked if they did the same numbers as those two combined. 
they're that much bigger. So Beckett's autograph authentication is number one in the business now and grading their number two. I think their company's just gotten a lot more valuable with this acquisition. It's probably worth 10 times what Greg Lindbergh paid for it back when he bought it, you know? So it's, 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 it's worth infinitely more fantastic valuation increase there. If you I, don't owned, foresee, I don't foresee them getting bought because of the way the, the person who owns the company's never sold a business. So I don't think he's going to sell this one. So I don't think they're getting bought. I think the most likely acquisition target is probably SGC. And okay, before we move on to SGC, I just want to jump in and say, you know, as far as Beckett goes, I can see them, you know, I don't see a buyer coming in and buying the whole company because I don't, I don't know what uh, the media, how, how good the media business is in terms of magazines and publications that, but I can definitely see someone, I can see them definitely spinning off the grading arm of the business and someone coming in and potentially making it a play for that. The other thing about the whole PSA sale, you know, it kind of snuck up on us, but you know, we need to realize that there's been negotiations going on for months and discussions going on for months between the board of directors of Collectors Universe and the investment group that has entered into this, this deal. So it's not, you know, this has been in the works and what does that tell me? There's other deals in the works out there as well that we just don't know about because there, there's confidential, there, there's non-disclosure signed on these things. You know, that's just the way business is done. The other thing, I've heard some different comments on the price of the of the shares. So you just mentioned it's a public company. By its nature, it is for sale, which is true. The what the way they've put it out there in the press release was that it was sold at a 30% premium. But you'll hear people say, well, no, it was only sold for $3 more than the share price. But the way these things are often done is that they're when you say a 30% premium, it's based on the average close of the past 60 days up until a certain point. And I'm not explaining this to you. I'm just... Oh, sure, sure. Right? And... That so that, let's be clear on that. Everybody watching that there is it's not like they're saying thirty percent, but it's only three dollars, which might have been 4%, four percent, five, whatever it was. It's based on the volume weighted average cost over the sixty days leading up to the close of the of them signing their 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 deal. Now, see the one thing about that, it's like Slack, the company that just sold to Salesforce.com yesterday. CNBC said on Monday, at the end of the day, Tuesday, Slack is going to be officially announced to have been purchased by Salesforce. The stock went up 15% when they said it's going to be acquired tomorrow. Then when the price was announced, it was only like another 3 or 4%. Now, this is different, though, because we had no heads up as a public that this was coming imminently at a certain day. So because of this, that move of the stock from 60 to 70, you don't get to give credit for the purchase on that. Like you don't get to give credit for the, for the fact that it was in play because we didn't know it was in play. So really the premium is only four or 5%, but given the historical average of the stock, I think it's a reason. I think it's a more than fair price. And I do that because again, without getting too deep in the weeds, we're very, very interested in the current market value of companies and how they're being calculated and, and what basis it traded at 50 times earnings and 30 times EBITDA. Okay, those are humongous numbers. Apple trades at eight or nine times EBITDA. It trades at 16 or 17 times earnings. So what this means, though, so like, is this is a huge premium to the, the market. Buy, the, buying, the buyer group, the investor group sees potential. That's what they're, it means. That's they're it means. buying growth. They're buying growth. Apple does not grow as fast as Collector's Universe. Our hobby is growing faster than one of the most glamorous, beautiful Investment vehicles in the history of investments. 
we are growing faster. And they see projected growth for years and years and years like that. And that, these, I think they're wise. They're wise for putting the valuation they did on it. Even though it's high, they put a good valuation on it. Well, and you know what? I mean, I think what must have happened somewhat is that the board of directors has to consider the shareholders. That's who they sit on the board for. And they're thinking to themselves, you know, the way things are going right now with just, I mean, they, they have business, they have backlog, which is good for business. Not great for collectors all the time, but good for business. Um, I mean, I think that the advice given from the board, from Joe Orlando as CEO of, of Collectors Universe, like a lot of this is going to go to vote and they're going to have to get probably two thirds to, for the deal to eventually go through. It's not done, done, but it's on its way. The thing is, is that we hear about, you know, we've, I've heard some lawsuits, this, the price, that. What's going to happen, practically speaking, is that 90% of the shareholders are just going to give their vote to Joe Orlando to vote as their proxy. And he's going to vote for the deal unless something crazy happens between now and then. And the deal is going to go through. It's not going to not go through. I don't see it. I mean, that's just the way it, these mergers and acquisition type of activity usually works. So in any event, I, we kind of got off talking about what, what this means to the other companies. Um, anything you want to add to the, the deal itself before we move on? I mean, the deal itself, again, I think the valuation, while it wasn't a huge premium to where it traded the day before, it's a substantial premium to the long-term value. I mean, I sat down with Chris Ivey three years ago at the National, my two-second story. I'll try not to go Chris Ivey is. Chris Ivey is at Heritage Auctions. And we were just sitting down talking, and Collector's Universe was at $10.40 a share. And I, I'm very close with a few players, and I, I mean, athletes. And I talked to Chris Ivey at that national at my booth. He was sitting right across from me. And I said, Chris, what do you think about making a bid for PSA for collectors? It's trading at $10. I mean, I was like, you think your dad would be interested in sitting down and talking about this? He was like, you know, I think my dad would. And for one reason or another, we didn't pursue it. But I was like, I think if we offer $13 a share, it's not enough premium to get him to do it. But they might take 15 so we saw value three years ago before this incredible blossoming. We knew it was an undervalued asset. But think back, it was only three years ago, it was 10. It was only eight months ago, it was 25. Six months, eight months ago, it was 25. So the value is baked in there. They paid a fair price. You see these lawsuits, lawsuits where they're trying to get shareholders riled up. And that's all it is. It's a bunch of ambulance chasers who try to get, the, who try to get people riled up saying, you got ripped off. You should have got $90 a share. These guys are paying a very fair value. 30 times EBITDA is a huge number. I do not believe there'll be many acquisitions in our space at that kind of number. And let's, let's, let, let's just explain what that even means. Basically, that's their operational profit. And it means it's going to take them 30 years to make back their $750 million. If there's zero growth. If there's zero exactly. growth. Exactly. With zero, with zero growth. So they're obviously buying into the growth. They see potential. And having a, a well-known collector at the helm, and I hope he's at the helm. I hope he's actively involved um, is going to be is going to be uh, a sure way, I believe, to. And he's known for success. He's known for building companies. So I think it's I think it's a it's a no lose situation for the hobby. You know, you've seen people make comments. Like, oh, I saw some initial comments were like, well, the the the, the fees are going to go up to recover their investment. Well, come on. I mean, the, like this, it's an investment. Of course, it's an, it investment, an investment, but it's a investment in a long-term play they're not i mean unless they're going to quick flip it i don't think they are but what do i know that that's not that's not the game here 
they um and let's also be clear, $750 million is leaving, it's leaving the coffers, it's going to the shareholders. So now they have to invest more money to scale up, to invest in some technology, to staff up, to, to get more space, to, to meet the demand. And they obviously feel that it's there. Otherwise, they wouldn't have paid 30 times EBITDA. So it's, uh, it's, it's, Anyway, I, I'm super pumped. Yeah, I'll, be honest, I'll be honest. I think Joe Orlando running that running the company now, I hold Joe in very high regard. I really do. I think he is a smart cookie. Not only is he a smart guy, but he's a true hobbyist at heart. And that's why, like, we've been successful because the guy running the company is a passionate, not only manufacturer, but a consumer of the asset. And that's what Joe, that's what Joe Orlando is too. He's a real hobbyist. And when you have a real hobbyist running a hobby company, there's something special about that you can't get when you have a Harvard business guy running a company. And Joe's smart. He's a lawyer. He's smart. But, like, he really gets it from a hobby perspective and from a business perspective. I think this new group buying it, they're very lucky to have a guy like Joe running it, to be honest with you. And and I think that he's lucky to have an, this new investor group, uh, this new ownership group to, to answer to. because Great marriage. Great marriage. He's going to be accountable, I think, like he's never been before. It's much easier to, to run a public company than it is a private company because public company, you got your board of directors and oftentimes you've got some of those board members in your pocket. Whereas in a private company, you know, you're if you're running it, you're answering to the owners. And if these owners are hobbyists like these guys are, I think uh, you're going to be more accountable than ever before. No doubt. So, again, really, really exciting stuff. Very Let's, uh, okay, so, you know, we talked about Beckett. I agree with you. Beckett Authentication Services, best in the business. No doubt in my mind, you've got Steve Grad, you've got Brian Sobrero, the rest of the team there. These guys are, you know, they're the experts uh, industry-wide, as far as I know, my opinion. Love. But as far as the card grading goes, because Beckett has also recently lost two of their other, you know, very experienced graders to the new CSG. Where, I mean... Where does that leave Beckett Grading Services right now? Well, I think they're still, I mean, they're getting cards out the yinger. I mean, turnarounds, go to their website, look at the turnaround times. It'll tell you all you need to see. But the fact is, you have to remember, there was a time when the number one grading personality in this industry was Mike Baker at PSA. And when Steve Rocky left, Baker went with him to start GAI. And now... 90% of collectors don't know who Mike Maker is, except that he started this new grading, a card that's already graded thing, which I don't understand. But, you know, but I think that's what it was. Now it's Reset PSA. There's a new kid, a sheriff in town, who's the ultimate grading guru there. So it's like, you know, it, faces are going to change. They are. They're going to change all the time. But at the end of the day, the brand and the power of a brand is critical. It really is critical. And that's why, you know, any company, once they establish themselves, that name becomes a household name and the quality of the product doesn't substantially suffer with a change. It's totally fine. And I'll tell you, I've seen the Beckett quality. I don't think it's I don't think it's suffered. I think PSA still demands a little more premium in the marketplace. We know this. I mean, there's no mystery, no mystery to that. You just turn on therapy. You can see that. But I think PSA to me is the other legitimate grading company that like I'll trade their cards blindly. Once you move past the top two, I don't trade cards blindly anymore. I have to look at the card. And so, that's really, that to me is a big deal when you have to really look at the card 
Because the idea behind grading was to make cards an asset that you really could almost trade blindly. Centering, you probably want to see a card for centering because eye appeal is important. But, like, you could almost trade a card blindly. A modern card you could trade blindly with grading. I can't do that past the big two yet, you know. I, I don't feel comfortable with that yet. And that's why the that's why the grading companies came to exist in the first place yeah. was so that we could no buy doubt. sight unseen on the internet. The internet the you know, yeah. without that, can you imagine the returns on eBay? Oh boy, it would so, be insane right. if we didn't have grading. Exactly. So, do you think Beckett is going to lose market share, gain market share, or stay steady? I think they can have as much market share as they want if they can hire the graders, which has been a challenge for every company. Okay. Every company has PSA has problems with it. Everybody has problems because. The kind of people you can hire are people that have no hobby experience. Because especially in a hot market like this, anyone who's good makes way too much money. I mean, I know 15-year-old kids that are making 100, 150 grand a year flipping cars. So, like, they're not going to – they're not even old enough to work there yet. Yeah. <laughs> because the people that actually are, are really, really good are making way more money than graders get paid. And that's – and graders do okay. They're really good ones. But it's still – you can make so much money if you're really that good – you should be buying cards and getting them graded versus working for a grader. So you have to train people from scratch, and that's a hard that's a hard thing to do. But I, I think Beckett has a huge growth opportunity. The key will be can they execute on finding the graders, and I hope they do because I love competition. I think it's critical for the marketplace, and not just to Beckett. I like as many companies as feel like they can compete. Let's do it. That's okay. what I have to believe on. You know. So let's let's talk about SGC now. The the third of the the big three, if you will, that's been around as long as. PSA as long as Beckett has and they've you know they've kind of uh, almost been reborn last year they're under some I believe what is some newer newer leadership a younger gentleman at the helm there now what do you what is it what does this transaction mean for SGC and their ability to win market share um I think I mean listen they I think they got some market share just because they actually turned some cards around early on now they've got the same problems as everyone else because it's easy. And they were like, we can turn around stuff super fast. Well, guess what? You can only do that until you get submissions. Then you can't. There's too many cards being graded. There's too many cards that probably don't have business getting put in holders. I mean, people are sending in 50 cent base. And we used to do that. We used to send in really high grade 50 cent base cards and get $50 for them. But like the, that's cluttering the food chain to where you can't get good stuff graded. You know, and so they got a lot of low-hanging fruit because people were so frustrated with Beckett and PSA because they couldn't turn stuff. But now they're in the same boat. They can't turn stuff either. There's just too many cards. And when demand in this industry like it is, there's just too many. Now, with that being said, I think the good news is I think SGC is probably the number one target left for acquisition. So I could see them getting bought very easily, very easily. Heck, I'd buy them if the price was something I could swallow. But – you know, I, I, I don't know that the price is going to be fair at all. You know, I would over, that's the problem with me is I'd buy an overhaul it completely. Don't like the holder, doesn't think it looks modern. The, the flip looks like something you print on a dot matrix. Well, there's things I hate about it, but they have a brand. And with a brand, you can do a lot. But Brian's grading company, that ain't a brand. So if I start a grading company tomorrow, now maybe if Leaf did it, Leaf would be a brand maybe. But like Brian's grading wouldn't mean anything because there's no brand there. I can have the coolest holder ever. No one's buying into that. I think SGC has a real opportunity if they were to. I think they messed up the reinvent. It's better than it was. 86 being a 7.5 makes no sense. But, like, at least numbers are numbers now. That's positive. But I think I think they're the number one acquisition target in the grading space because I don't think Beckett can be bought or will be bought. I don't think they can be bought. 
So I think SGC is probably the next asset, and CSG's done nothing yet, so we can't really tell. They have an opportunity just because, honestly, Brian's grading would probably get a bunch of cards right now just because people want cards in holders and they're desperate to get them there. But I think they want them in certain holders, you know. I'm not sure that if that's the case, then CSG is in big trouble. I, I don't think that's the case. I think they're going to be okay with that. Okay, so – and when I say that, I'm – you know, I think PSA, BGS – SGC, CSG, I think they're all uh, worthy, worthy competitors. Let's talk about the new CSG, uh, sister code to CGC or, or a subsidiary. I'm not sure how it's structured, but they are a, a new grading company. They haven't launched yet. Um, I got the, I had the privilege of, of speaking with uh, their two great, the two lead graders who came over from Beckett Grading Services over them at the virtual expo uh, last earlier this last month. And, um, you know, these guys are excited about what they're doing. They're, they, they've evolved the holder. They, 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 they had a whole bunch of things that they're doing that I think is they're trying to step up a little bit from what they were used to. What do you think there, how does the future look for this company? Which again, they're, they're brand new to sports card grading, but the company is not new to grading collectibles. They've got a long legacy in comic books. They're a leader in comic books grading. So, so now they're taking what they've learned there. They've got some, they got some capital behind them. They can market, they can hire, but they're coming out fresh. And I've thought a lot, you know, up until this announcement, I still think this, you know, they haven't done anything wrong yet. All the other grading companies have done things wrong where the, the hobby has been frustrated with them. But with uh, CSG, they have a clean slate. They're, they're coming out new. What do you think? I mean, you may have your opinions on their company before, the PSA announcement was made, but now that PSA collectors universe is being acquired, what do you think that means for the, the future, the rollout of the new CSG? CSG will get a bunch of cards because people want cards in holders. I mean, I think that's a reality. They want the cards in a holder because trading cards raw is becoming harder and harder to do. The number of eBay returns you get is staggering. The premium, when you can, even in a, even in an SGC holder, you can turn a five dollar card into a fifty dollar card pretty easy, if you if you if you pristine it or you tan it or whatever. I mean, you can you can create premium still in SGC. So you've got to think with CSG, it's possible you create a premium still. Um, I think you have to remember their top grader was not one of the top two graders at Beckett. Their second grader was not one of their. I mean, he, both good guys, both friends of mine actually, but they weren't. It wasn't like they took Beckett's top two guys. They got two guys out of Beckett's top seven or ten, probably, you know, six, seven, whatever. So they got two good guys, but they're going to find it's hard to hire also. If they hire people that don't understand, they're going to get so many trim cards coming in that place on day one. I really hope that Weston and Andy are able to look at every card themselves because if they're hiring people to catch that alteration, they're not going to catch it all. The two guys have to look at every card initially because that's what happens with any new grading service is they get all the stuff the other ones failed or kicked or whatever because if we were going to test them right away, that first month, I wouldn't be shocked if they're overly paranoid because they're going to get a lot of garbage in there, stuff that's trimmed and altered and, you know, because people are going to test and see if they're going to put the wrong stuff in holders. It's going to define their company. The first 30 or 60 days will define their company. So I think it's smart that they haven't done anything really yet. They're taking their time. That's probably smart. But listen, people want cards and holders. Like I said, I think even Brian's grading company would get stuff right now. And that's the crappiest name I've ever heard. <laughs> I'm telling you, it would get cards because people want cards and holders. And to wait six months for a 30-day service is 
it, it's painful. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I want to switch focus here and talk about another sort of sensitive issue around the transaction, which is the potential perceived conflict of interest between collectors owning the grading company. But before we do, we're going to run through a few comments here and uh, and we'll come back to that in a couple of minutes. So I do want to bring up Tiger Jordan's comment here. Sale of PSA could be a sign of even more growth and innovation coming. Just hope it's not a sign of a market peak like Time Warner's acquisition of AOL in 2001. That was the peak of the dot-com bubble. Yeah, okay, fair. And, and you know, the dot-com bubble, it's funny because that bubble burst, but now there's a new one. And it's and it's oh, yeah, there's a new bubble. But that bubble is now our reality. It's the reality of the human species that we live in a virtual world. So, you know, this might be we saw the bubble in the early 90s. Maybe this is the maybe well, one comment the second one, bubble. This acquisition is not the bubble burst. The bubble burst will be if an online breaker sells for $67 million. Like that's yeah. when you know it's out of control. Yeah. Because that's when pets.com had never turned a profit and sold for. $15 billion. Like, this is not what we're talking about. We're talking about businesses that are making money, that are real businesses. And it's like we just see value in that now. We didn't see the value there before. So that's the difference. That bubble will be when an online breaker goes for $48 million. Then you'll know we are out of our flipping minds and the game's over. And then you need to be scared and running for the hills. But this is a smart acquisition. Let's see a dumb acquisition first. All the deals I'm hearing about and hearing buzzes about, they're not dumb acquisitions. They're smart acquisitions. Yeah. Okay. Dennis Lescombe. Good day, everyone. I've been waiting for this show. Happy to have you with us. Hockey, hockey. He might be a collector, but he's also a businessman. Speaking of Nat Turner, yeah. And that's that's the that's a great combination. Uh, I believe as as a collector in the hobby, that's the guy I want running that company. Charles, let's hope we get a collector discount. Uh, I don't think so, but hey. Bob <laughs> Diggity says, Jeremy, your show is my favorite. Usually consume the podcast at work. Brian's one of my favorite guests on the show and Hobby Hotline, but he has big shoes to fill after Adam Gray. Very nice. His, and they're unrelated, unrelated. Unrelated. Brent Turman, can Hobby Passion translate to business acumen? I don't think that's the case here. Um, business acumen is 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 embedded in these guys. They they've proved they have a track record. They have the business acumen. They have the hobby passion. I, I love I love those ingredients together. I think the combination is deadly. That's the key. That's exactly. He's got them both. LeBron, welcome to the show. Says this shows the direction the industry is going up and up. Can't say I disagree with that. Amit, welcome. Says this is the beginning of the maturation of the hobby. I can't wait. Yeah, you've been saying that for a little while. Joel Alpert. Says to me, don't forget, Collector's Universe business is mainly in coin grading. That business is huge compared to their growing card and autograph authentication businesses. The new owners would be insane to give up that division. Coin grading is and has been 80% of their income for years. Yeah, great point, Joel. Thank you for, for bringing it to the forefront. Um, and you know what? I mean, it's funny because coins is a is an older generation's hobby. And if coins up until today have been 80% of their business, that tells me that there is monstrous room for, for growth because sports cards, I believe, are a lot more popular than coins are, at least in North America. Of course, I'm only speaking from what I see. I don't hear, I don't know any coin collectors at all. I don't know anybody who cares about coins anymore. But again, that's what I, that's who I come into contact with. Brian, am I out to lunch? Are there millions of, or tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of coin collectors still active? Well, what they're buying is they're buying cougar ants and eagles and maples and pandas and they're, they're buying they're buying 
coin. They're buying gold coins. They're putting money in gold, basically, using the coin as the vehicle for doing that. So, I mean, yes, there's coin collectors. Now, I don't have a whole lot of guys calling me saying, do you got any Buffalo nickels lying around? You know, I don't hear those kind of things so often, like the real casual collector. But big overseas money pours into those assets because a lot of the assets are precious metals. So, yeah, I think there is there are buyers for that. I don't think it's 80 percent. But nowadays, I think it's much I think it's much more balanced. But that just shows you the upside in collectors. But people don't even know the growth of this business. I mean, I wish I could. I can't even tell you. I'm not allowed to tell you how much our business has grown year over year. It's disgusting. And it just tells you that this is everywhere. I know online breakers that are making money that would make you blush. So, I mean, like this this comment is very good only because it shows us that card, CU has incredible upside if cards continue to develop like they are. Yeah. Agree, agree. LeBron says Brian needs to buy BGS. He doesn't think it's for I sale. Wish, I wish I could buy it. I don't think there's any price you can. Oh, maybe there's some price, but not enough. I don't have enough money for that. That's for sure. <laughs> Ziggy No wants to let everybody know to watch for acquisitions of card software like Market Movers. That's by Sports Card Investor, Card Ladder, Card Genie, and YouTube content could get interesting as the market grows. Isn't YouTube content getting interesting already? There's so much good stuff up there. I, I consume way too much of it. Leaf grading services, says anonymous Facebook user, LGS. I like that. Minera Irv says, has Leaf been offered a buyout recently? Um, we can't talk about any specific like things happening because obviously there's NDAs that we sign whenever someone inquires about our business. I think I can say that there has been substantial interest in ours and many other businesses in our category. And when I preach from the mountains that this is only one of what's going to be tons of acquisitions out there, there are going to be a lot of deals. I mean, I'm telling you, if I, I wish if, if these walls in my office here at home could talk, you guys would have your jaws on the floor if you only knew what's coming. This is going to be a huge year in 2021. This is like the I, this is like the first little taste of cake, which is delicious. But you can't stop eating. You're going to eat more and more. It's going to be a tasty next six months because there's a ton of interest in our category. And I guarantee you, Panini's phone's ringing, Top's phone's ringing, Predex phone's ringing, our phone's probably ringing. I can't comment on that, but it's probably ringing. I bet you BGS, SGC, ComC. But there's tons of, I mean, I bet you everybody in our business has got a real business that's fielding calls like that. Yeah. Wow, man. Okay. Let's keep going here. Ryan says, hold on for the ride. 2020 is going to be wild ride for the hobby. I certainly think it will be as well. Ziggy says, what do you think about immediate, the immediate impact from PSA? I would be very worried about talent snipers. If you're a grader at PSA, why stay? You're vested and there's a huge backlog and a new boss coming. I mean, I think the opposite, Ziggy. I think if you're a PSA, now you're even more excited about the potential. That's what I think. You fear sometimes might get worse before they get better in the next six months? Very possible. And if I'm BGS and SGC, I make a hard push to grab market while PSA is distracted. Yeah. They got too many cards already. What are they going to go grab? They can't grade the stuff they've got. I mean, it's not their fault. There's just too many cards. And I also think that a lot of people who were maybe willing to, you know, PSA loyalists who perhaps were going to say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm, I'm now going to go to BGS. Well, they're backlogged. Maybe I'll try SGC or the new CSG. Now some of those people might be thinking, well, you know what? I want to see what PSA does. Maybe I'll wait an extra year to get my cards graded. If I'm not looking for the quick flip, you know, and uh, and and see what happens. I mean, there's there are unknowns here, guys. There's a lot of unknowns in, in this whole thing. What, what's going to happen? How the how the grading 
aspect of our hobby is going to evolve. This is just, this is like the the gun has been the gun has been shot, and now we got we got to run the marathon, and that marathon has a lot in store for it that we can't even really speculate on. Well, we can speculate, but we're likely wrong on a lot of it. Let's see. Uh, Paul says, I think tempered expectations for PSA, BGS, and SGC. What could they really do? Add to the backlog, as Brian just said. Yes, Ryan Winters says to watch out for CSG. Paul says uh, the Ambulance Chasers, the one law firm, basically, if you Google them, they put out a weekly announcement saying they're investigating SEC violations for recently announced M&A. So yeah, it's it's just standard standard practice, being uh, challenging the price. Computerized grading will be here sooner. He's a tech guy. Okay, hold on one sec. I got to stop you on this one. Go ahead. I saw this website Card Boss or something that, that says they look at your cards. You, you put in a card. I think it's some website just launched. The graphics on the website are like out of like Microsoft, like graphic free package or something. But you can put a picture of a card in and they grade the card for you digitally. Like it, it analyzes the card for corners, centering, and edges. So I said, I'm going to try this grading because I want to see how they do it. It's all digital. Like they're going to do it all with a computer. So I took a PSA 10, Luka Doncic, cropped out the card, and submitted it on their site because they let you grade one card for free. And on a scale of A, which is the best grade you can get, their grading scale is A to F. Like A is like you got an A in the class, and F is you got a piece of crap on your hands. The Luka Doncic PSA 10, first off, you can only grade one side of the card. So you only grade the front. Okay, that's great. Here's the best part. It grades three subgrades, edges, corners, and surface. A computer can do centering. That's like the one thing a computer is actually useful for is looking at the centering. Now, it's very hard. You have to program like certain sets, what they have to look for. But the computer gave the card a D, and it was a PSA 10. The back could have had me scribbling on the back, you know, card boss is a loser. And they didn't see it because they didn't see the back of the card. So, like, that's the problem. Like, this, these dreams of, like, computerized grading, just not going to happen. I mean, not anytime soon at all. And you don't want that. Because when a machine starts looking at your cards, you're pissed off when you get a bunch of PSA 9s right now. When they're all 6s and 7s, you're really going to be pissed. Because this stuff's paper. If a machine starts grading, no one's getting 10s on hardly anything. 6s and 7s and 8s. So I think we'll all take human subjectivity long-term for the kind of returns you're hoping to get when you spend your hard-earned money on grading. But that's just my quick opinion on that one. So there you go. Yeah, uh, my opinion is not very different from yours, Brian. I, th- I think computerized grading, uh, 100% computerized grading is really a, a, a dream. It's a far-fetched dream. But I do think that computer there there is ways that they can help and then a human can step in and maybe kind of confirm sort of thing. But who knows? Who knows? Let's let, let's let the... Let's let the innovation kind of answer that question for us over time. Uh, hockey, hockey says, you know, ethics question. Say I run a P- I run PSA and I want my card graded. How is that approached? Yeah, I, we're going to come back to that one. Ziggy says lots of people are positive because Nate. Okay, Ziggy, his name is Nat. Just so you know, it's N-A-T. There's no E on it. Is a collector leading the purchase? Is anyone a little concerned as devil advocate, super collector leading PSA? We're going to come back to that. Adam, great to see you. Great work. Thank you very much. Vincent says, would, would you rather a super collector leading PSA or a guy like Collectible Guru who is in it just for the money to run PSA? I don't know if the Collectible Guru is in the running, but uh, if he was, I can just say I'm very comfortable with, with Nat running it. I don't think Nat's, 
let's just get into it now. There are a couple other things I wanted to touch on first, but let's get into it now, Brian. The potential conflict of interest. If you're a collector and you own PSA. So the first question we saw just a few minutes ago is, so I want to get my card graded. How does that work? Well, I'm going to answer this one, Brian, because I believe what's going to happen. Call me naive if you want. I believe that the card is going to be graded fairly. It's going to be graded by a grader. It's going to be graded fairly and honestly. I don't think it makes any sense for any of these investors. And I don't think it's in there. I don't even think they're considering it. They'd be complete morons to want to get a card in a nicer holder. Nat Turner proved to the hobby in February or March of 2019, he doesn't really care about the grade of his cards. He just wants his cards slabbed by a reputable company. And, and he doesn't... He just wants to own the card. He bought the PMG Green Michael Jordan for $350,000 in a PSA altered holder. And he was as happy as the rest of us are when we get one of our whales to have the card. And it was in an altered holder. He didn't care. The card was pack pulled. He doesn't see, now he doesn't know why it was marked altered, but he didn't care. He was happy to own the card. I don't think a guy like that is going to say, hey, bump me up a grade or two on this card. Why would he? He's he, he's he's arguably the wealthiest person and collector in the hobby. Why does he care about the grade? Brian, what do you think of that? Well, I think first off, I think it's, I mean, again, this is the conspiracy. Everyone wants to think there's some deep, dark conspiracy. There's always some secret conspiracy going on that's designed to defraud the hobby to make people rich. That's not how it is at all. In fact, these guys spending all this money, I guarantee you, they don't care if they can bump their George Brett from a 9 to a 10, a 75 bread, even though it's probably a half million dollar bump. The guy sold a pharmaceutical company for $1.9 million. You know, these guys have plenty of money. They spent $700 million. On you would not ruin the integrity of that company. Listen, my company is a lot cheaper than that, and I guard the integrity very carefully because I realize that someday leaf probably will get bought by someone someday somewhere. And when it does, you know, the integrity of our company is going to be critical. That brand preserving the brand is critical. And it's even more so with grading with Beckett and PSA and SGC trust is the only thing that matters. The, I mean, the, the ability to do a good job is obviously important, but trust and you're finished. You violate trust. You're finished. And, and you know what? You know what they can make a mistake, but if we knew that they were grading trim cards on purpose, they'd be done. They just made mistakes. The trimmers are better than the graders for a little while. Not now, but they were. So let, let me just say that, you know, a PSA being the company we're really here to talk about, they their trust has been lost by a lot of collectors. A lot of collectors, for whatever reason, don't trust PSA. I'm just that that's just the fact of the matter. I believe that under this new leadership, that Anyone who doesn't trust PSA should now, I'm not going to tell you what you should do, but if it was me, if I had lost trust in PSA, now is my opportunity to kind of say, okay, I'm going to restore some trust, or I'm at least going to give them another chance to win my trust back because they're under new leadership, collector's mentality leadership. And, uh, I, you know, personally, and that's how I, that's how I would approach it. What, what do you think, Brian? Do you think that they're going to win back some trust from people who maybe lost trust in PSA over the past few years? Well, I think I think the people who've lost trust, I think 90 percent of them weren't grading anything anyway. There, I, I think there's a lot of conspiracy. I think you can't overwrite the message board keyboard warrior that just wants to stir things up or go on Twitter and try to get people riled up. 
I mean, the fact is at the end of the day, again, these companies, I will, I can assure you, because I deal with both. I deal with PSA and Beckett. And I'm telling you, they are extremely concerned about trust and doing good and not making mistakes. And I know Beckett's bought back cards that they made mistakes on. I know PSA has bought back cards they made mistakes on. If you think anyone's going to be perfect in grading or authentication, go get card bots, that computer thing that gave a PSA 10 Donchick a D, because that's what you're going to be dealing with. You know, you're going to have to deal with a few mistakes, but the hobby is a much better place with their 99 or 98% accuracy than it would be if it were the wild, wild west without them. And I think collectors are going to come around to that. And if they don't, they, they don't really care anyway. They're just, I, I believe most of them are probably there to argue and whine about it because they would argue and whine if you gave them a hundred dollar bill, why you didn't give them 200. You know, it's just some people, that's their nature. But I think, um, I, I don't think they've lost tons of customers. They got so many cards coming out there, but they don't know what to do with them. You know, so I, I think, yeah, maybe some people will be open-minded to it. But honestly, I think people are going to try to dig into this and say there's some deep, dark conspiracy. Because, hey, isn't that fun just to wreck people just for sport, you know? Yeah. Well, not to me. Is, not to me. Fun. Some people like that. Well, there's, man, there, there's tons of people. There's, there's tons of people that just love, tons of people love to be negatives, you know, hate on other people. It's it's just, it's just unfortunately, it's a lot of people's human nature. But it is what it is. We We just have to navigate through that noise. Okay, lots of comments coming in, guys. I'm looking at where I'm at. I'm, I'm, man, we're almost 30 minutes behind on all your comments. I'm going through a bunch, and I see uh, Vincent and and uh, and Ziggy having a bit of a conversation about things, and they, they both keep, they both. I think I corrected you guys. There's no e in in Nat. It's just Nat. It's not Nate. Ziggy, I want to say something to you too. It's not C M O C. It's Com C. It's not C O M C. Com C uh, Ziggy. If you could do me a favor and start calling it Com C. Com C. Moving forward forever, never say COMC, CMOC, calm C Ziggy, please, please. Especially with the channel you have, I think you would do yourself a lot of favors if you would refer to the entities as they are actually called. That would be great. Okay, let's keep on going here. Card Collector says, oh, wait, up here. He says, electronic grading would be revolutionary. Think about it. You wouldn't even need to send your cards to PSA. Every card shop could have their own card grading machine. You could grade a card in a day. That was something that was speculated by uh, Jeff Wilson from Sports Card Investor on one of his videos. I think the vision is awesome. I would love to see that happen. Is it possible? We're decades away, I think. But who knows? Who knows? Things can move fast. Uh, card collectors want to say, and they could lower prices for grading because they would not need to hire as many people. Grading would also be much more consistent, possibly. Is it one of Nate's... Nate. <laughs> oh, gosh. I'm behind on the comments. Okay. Um Brian, let's talk more about the uh, the potential conflict, though, because, you know, people are concerned. I saw a comment. Someone said, I think Nat could control the whole industry. What, what, how could one person control this whole industry? Is that even possible? Let me let me paint a similar picture. Open your wallet and look inside. The U.S. can just go print a trillion dollars tomorrow. So, yes, they could do that. But if you do that enough, you will totally disrupt the integrity of the U.S. dollar and will no longer be the reserve currency of the world. Okay? Everything in the world will not be priced in dollars anymore. So PSA, think of it like Rome. Rome used to be the dominant world center. And now it's – and also, ran that's overrun with COVID more than almost any other place. You know, so, I mean, you really – you're in a situation where you just have to know that PSA – 
is 100% not going to run the presses. The same way the U.S. government's not going to just print unlimited amounts of money without understanding there's a consequence. This guy's got enough money. He will never make enough, nor the other people. Everyone's ignoring the other names on that deal. Just scroll. I'm not going to get into it, but scroll down. Look at the other people involved. He's not the richest guy in the deal. Not even close. So, like, look at that deal. And I promise you, there's no amount of money they could make bumping cards that would make any difference at all. Trust me. There's no, there's zero chance. I actually have more confidence in PSA after this than I did before. Because oh, yeah. now I feel like, because I know how I run Leaf. And someone who loves it is at the helm. And even if he's not at the helm, it's still Joe Orlando at the helm. Joe Orlando loves it. He is he is intimately involved in a lot of that business. And I gotta say, I have no problem. I mean, I think this is great. I, I feel more confident with more hobby people being involved. I really do. And honestly, I think on their board of directors, they should bring in another outside hobby guy or two. Just to add up, just to add more than business ears to their board of directors. Especially now that they're private, they probably have more freedom to do that. I love, I love seeing hobby impact. I think that's huge. Hobby input. And know? I think I think they will. I mean, I think guys like this, these are some, these are sophisticated business people. They understand high-level business. And I think part of that will be the optics of it all. They're not, they've considered what we're talking about already. They're no, they're not dumb. These guys know what, and especially because they're hobbyists, they know how the hobby thinks. So I have no doubt they'll bring in some external members on onto their board so that they can have a, a fresh set of eyes on things, another perspective, another real seasoned business, you know, people with business acumen that have experience that understand these things. There's nobody I'd rather have. When I found out it was Nat Turner, it made me, it just gave me more positive feelings about the future of the hobby because PSA is an important player. Of course, they, you know, I've got hundreds of cards in their slabs and I know everybody watching does too. Maybe not hundreds, but anyway, maybe thousands. We are in good hands. That is my, that is my, my. I think we're in good hands. Good and I feel the same way about the other companies too. I mean, I know that the Beckett, the guys at Beckett are passionate about it. I know at SGC, Dave Foreman is passionate about it. I understand. I have confidence in the fact that these people care about the business. They're not going to fraudulently run the presses. None of these guys are. Or fraudulently find ways to try to skim a few dollars. I don't believe they're going to do that. No. I think that's just, I think that's just conspiracy theorists yapping on. It's it's all it is. It, it's it, it's all it is, man. And you know what? It, it's it's in a way, it's good that that these uh, these ideas, these potential situations are hashed out, thought about, and it's good that we can talk about them. And you know, if you really trust the people that are in it, and again, it's kind of funny to say that because I don't know these guys at all. So how do I trust them? It's it's. It's perception, it's feeling, and it's knowing my own collector mindset, myself being someone who works in, in business. You know, you can sort of project some of that out there. And, and, and again, like you've said, Brian, over and over again, these guys don't need money. They don't, they just spend $750 million. They don't need money or they're about to. They don't need to, to bump up a grade so they can flip a card on eBay. It's just, <laughs> it's just not the way it's, it's going to roll out. Crazy. That's a crazy thought to me. It is. It is. So, you know, we've alluded to it already, Brian, other potential activity in the hobby. And you've mentioned, you know, any company, any company that has anything going right now is a potential target. You know, do you, 
<laughs> Who's the first? What, what's the next domino to fall? PSA is number one. This could be the start of a bunch. What's who's next in your in your opinion? I I mean it's a loaded question, man. I'm also not allowed to. I mean, I just I, I without getting into specific names, I would tell you again. I would focus on anybody who's got a big established brand in the industry in any of the real categories. I don't think breakers are ready to be acquired. I don't think we're getting to that stage yet. I I think. I don't even really think a distributor will be acquired yet because the distributors are too reliant on the manufacturers. So they make a lot of money, the distributors, but, they, but they're reliant on the manufacturer. For that. If the manufacturer said tomorrow, we're not going to go through a distributor anymore. We're going to sell direct to consumer. They're out of business. But we're going to sell. I mean, that's the problem. They rely on manufacturers. They rely on someone else. So I'm not even sure that'll be the category. But I would look. I think someone earlier mentioned like uh, complimentary card related things like i think com c would be a beautiful target i think they would now they're doing not a good job of shipping right now they got work to do they're not executing well on that that's a problem and i publicly have called them out and said guys you got to work on this you are a great company you're a true technology company in a business that needs technology but you've got to execute better i know COVID is getting you but you've got to figure out a way to execute but i think that's a great target it's, it's really tough. Story. I just want to mention, it's really tough when someone comes in contact with someone with COVID. Now they can't go to work for two weeks. You can't just train some. Like times are tough. I, I think my we. Problem with them, my problem with them is if you buy a card from them on eBay, it ships within three days. But if you buy it on their website, it takes three months. <laughs> the same card. Yeah, they That's don't want to get shut out. They don't want to get shut out. Listen, I hold Tim in high regard too. They've done an incredible job. They got great technology. But I think that would be a great target for someone. Because what they do could be expanded and grown on very good. I mean, that's there's a ton of opportunity there. I think all the grading companies are in play. I think all the autograph authentication companies could be in play. Wouldn't be shocked to see someone buy JSA or to see someone try to buy back in authentication or PSA has already been bought. I could see that very easily. I think the manufacturers, I think every manufacturer would want to be, would, someone would want to acquire every manufacturer. I don't think any of them can be bought, really. I think, you know, only... I can only think of one that probably is acquirable at this point, you know, but for the most part, they can't be bought because the numbers are staggering. They can't be yeah. bought. Much bigger than the PSA deal. No, not getting bought. Well, Panini's not getting bought. Panini would Maybe. be, in my opinion, if someone said, what do you think the market value of Panini is today? I think something would have to be in the one and a half to $2 billion range to consider. Like to, if I was putting a valuation based on what I know or think I know, I would say it's probably worth that. Tops is probably worth seven hundred to eight hundred million. You know, Probably. these are big numbers. Like these numbers are huge. And, what about and Upper Deck? Is, um, Upper Deck's probably worth fifty to seventy-five million. But I hear it's not available for sale, no price. So I don't think that's in play. But again, it's a big fall off after the top two. But I think there's a bunch of, and again, so whatever it is, I think all these categories of complementary goods, I wouldn't be shocked to see Ultra Pro be on play. Wouldn't be shocked to see, you know, there's a lot of places where you can invest in this category. A lot of services and a lot of things. I mean, I think there's a lot of opportunity. So listen, I don't really care who gets bought by who. I just love the activity. And I love the fact that people with real money see what I see. And it's just, I know it's true. I believed it all this time and I know it. I knew it. And these guys are vindicating it. And it's that passion that's going to take us from what's already what feels like a frothy, hot market. That's what's going to take us the next step. 
and why we're in inning two and not in inning six yeah. of a nine inning game. We're still so early. Just wait, wait, wait. I can't wait. I'm so giddy because I know what's coming and it's freaking huge. This industry is about to get media impressed in a way you won't believe. Like Man, nothing. I mean, Today is nothing. Yeah, it's 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 good to hear your 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 positive uh, outlook on this thing. You know, I mean, and you you've been you've been saying the same thing for a couple of years now, Brian, if not longer. So, and you you've been right. So I don't I'm not going to start doubting you now. That's for sure. I want to say I hi to Amish. Plenty of people laugh at me. Trust me, plenty of people have laughed oh, and said, "Yeah, but well, like we said, have to go up because you know you're in the business." And I'm like, trust mean. me, doesn't matter what you say. We're going to be in a junk era again. Those days are over. There is never going to be junk like that again. Doesn't matter what you say. People will laugh at you. People will challenge you, and they will and they will uh, find ways to try to knock you down. It's just the way the world works. Like I said earlier, we just gotta you know navigate our our way through that noise. Hello to da- Amish Dave Archer. Welcome to the show. Okay, we've got yeah. Here's a good question. What's the medium sa- median salary of a grader? Does anybody know any ideas on that, uh, Brian? Uh, I mean, I don't know specifics. I will tell you that I would bet that. A grader can make a decent living. You know, I do believe a grader can make a decent living. The problem is, like I said, someone who's good enough to be a senior grader at a card com- at a at a grading company can probably make three or four times that buying and selling cards. Because so they what, have the, what is a decent salary? Like, given I, put a number. Why, why don't you give me a suggestion of what you think a decent salary is, and I'll tell you if I think graders make that. Because hundred hundred and fifty grand a year. I think only the very best graders can make that kind of money. I think, most graders, I think most graders are more I think most graders are more entry level than that. But it's because of what I just said, you can't hire people with experience. No. I think someone with experience makes 75 or 100 grand, maybe. But like but most of these companies are hiring people who are not card graders and turning them into card graders. And that is a slow, painful process that will pay fruit three years from now. But today it's it's painful because someone has to look at every card they look at. So you're doing double the work for years. Until they master their craft. And you know what, Brian? That's why I think for these companies to you know continue to flourish. And if if PSA is going to be not only acquired, but now capitalized, that they will probably pay better to the graders. Uh, Legion says here, he just looked it up. Graders make 10 to 15 USD an hour. I mean, not true. Not my, true my babysitter makes more than that. Not true. I bet you there's not one grader at any grading company. I don't know what SGC pays. No one's making ten to fifteen dollars an hour. What they might advertise is, well, you're going through your training, that you're making thirty thousand dollars a year during training. But no one's moving to California to work for ten. Right now, In and Out Burger in Dallas pays fifteen dollars an hour. So you're not going to get a grader for the same price as the guy with a cute hat and apron that you know has to answer the door and take hamburger orders. I mean, you're not getting the same. You're not getting the people for that. That's nuts. I pay fifteen dollars to warehouse people. You know, there's no way you're getting a grader for $15 an hour. That's crazy. But if they were to, you know, pay a grader, say $100,000, $150,000 a year, now that's a, that's attractive enough where some people might trade in playing the playing the flipper game or the, you know, buy raw, get graded game uh, to go get a steady income and now have something that they can show a bank and get a mortgage and start, you know, getting on with life. I can but see you, that happening. And I think also honesty and te- there's also honesty and integrity issues because that's another problem is once someone's been a dealer, their roots can be kind of deep and you have to be very careful. And I think that's another thing is training someone who doesn't know the values necessarily, but can understand grading. There's a lot of value to that. 
Because then it's not like they look – because really you should not look at a Jordan rookie any different than you look at, you know, Terry Teague in the same set. True. You should look at a card the same. They're both 86, 87 player. There's no difference. And so to get people to get that nuance – that's 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 interesting. The problem is, I think too many graders know the difference between a Jordan rookie and Terry T. I'm going to bring up this comment from Chai Town Hustler. This is this is awesome. He says people are looking for negatives instead of seeing the positive. And let's face it, that's that's half the world. You're either glass half full or glass half empty. You choose every morning when you wake up how and who you want to be. <laughs> he goes on to say, do you, want it, do you want the CEO of McDonald's to be a vegetarian? No. Do you want the owner of Head & Shoulders to be bald? Come on. That's a good point. I use some generic uh, shampoo brand. doesn't matter to me. So I think that's that's a that's a great point, Chaitan. Well, and, and the CEO of McDonald's before the current guy used to eat lunch there every single day. He went to McDonald's every single day for lunch. Look at Warren Buffett. Right? Warren Buffett eats a Dairy Queen. He wears Fruit of the Loom. He eats. He, he sees candy, whatever it is. All of it, right? Here's a que- here's a question from Ziggy. I want to let let's speculate on this a little bit. Brian says, "How much of Nat's money was part of the deal? Do you think he was the catalyst or just selected as the face of the group? Why are they going private? Why not stay public?" So, let let Brian let me let me yeah, give my opinion. I'll be short. I'll be shorter than you. My my thoughts, and this is purely speculation, just guessing. What went through my head when I read it was that I'm thinking Nat went in for $100 million. The other guys split the rest somehow. That's what I think. I think that he is leading the charge here. I, again, I don't, have a, I don't have a freaking clue. How do I know? I'm just going by what I think. So don't take this for anything and don't laugh at me. Don't believe me. It's just what I think. I think he's leading the charge. I think he has the vested interest. And... Why go public? Why go private? Because it's less costly to run a private business. It's less onerous to run a private business. Being public is a pain in the ass. Simple as that. And it costs a lot of money in professional fees. Every year to be a public company, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars a year to be a public company, just on legal and professional fees. So there's a lot of, and control. And answering to, to, when you're answering to shareholders who know, let, let's get another thing out there. Public companies are owned by the public, by the public. The public has no idea what goes on inside these companies for the most part. So they're not really in a position to vote on things. All you read are the financial statements. And if you even read them, no, you're going off of press releases and what your friends are telling you most of the time, if you're voting on any shareholder activity, if you're, if you're a shareholder in a private company, unless you are highly interested, which most retail investors simply are not. So, Tons of reasons to go private, and uh, and you're really going to take money out of the out of the lawyers and the accountants' pockets and put it into the business is is one big part of it. But it's control, it's it's accountability. Who you're answering to, Brian? Your turn. I mean, I I don't spend other people's money, so I don't know whose money it is. I don't really care. What I can tell you is when I read down the names who's involved, I am knocked over and impressed. I've never met I've never met Nat. Never met him. Never met um. Never met Cohen. You know, the owner of the Mets, never met him, never met any of these guys on this deal, never met one of them. But you know what? I hold them in very high regard already because they're smart and they're smart. I see it and they have vision. And so I don't really care whose money it is. I don't care if that is $5 and the rest of it comes from, I don't really care. I love anyone who's creative and can see what other people aren't seeing. And very few people saw Collector's Universe stock at $70 and thought, man. That's a deal. 
They thought it at 20. They don't think it at 70. At 70, they're like, man, it's gone up a lot. But to see that high price and say, I don't care. There's a vision that's much bigger. I love these guys. I've never met one of them. I love them just because they have vision and they're smart. Yeah. I want to meet them now. So if Same. so now, Nat, if you're watching, give me a shout. I'd love to. I, I don't go out to eat. I'd love to buy you virtual coffee because I'd like to get to know you because you're a smart cook. These guys are smart. So, again, I think they're smart to go private, I think. It gives you more freedom to do the things you need to grow. Some You can now sacrifice short-term success for long-term vision. You cannot do that with a public company. One bad quarter, you get slaughtered. You can't raise money anymore. You know, we looked at potential opportunities that involved either taking over a shell of a company that was there before or selling to a small SPAC. We looked at these things. And everybody we talked to, every investment banker we've talked to in our process, and our journey, has told us you never, you don't want to go that road. You're going to spend half a million bucks a year just being compliant. Yeah. And that's for a little guy like us. You're going to spend half a million bucks a year to be compliant, you know, with Sarbanes-Oxley, all the other crap you have to do. And you're handcuffed because everything is by the letter of what do you got to do tomorrow to, to hit numbers. And it makes you sacrifice what you think is the right thing sometimes to the numbers. And we don't want to be a slave to the numbers. We don't want to have to come out with a product before it's ready because we have to make the quarter. We want to come out with a product when it's ready because we need it to be good and want it to be good. Yeah. And I think there's all the reasons in the world to be private. Much better cool. situation. Another, another thing to consider is that when you're a public company, you now have to watch your share price on a minute by minute basis. You're, you're watching that all throughout the day as the CEO, the CFO, the, the executive. And, and it's its own entity. The stock price, the share price has nothing to do with what's going on in the in managing the business and running the business. It's 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 decided by the by the public and the public has no idea what you're doing inside. Very shouldn't say no idea. Very limited exposure to really what's going on inside the company. So it's it, this, uh, to be a slave to your share price takes way too much attention away from actually running a company, sure. in my opinion. Couple comments here. Uh, Oscar Dad says, "I think this will be good for grading in general. We'll keep BGS, SGC, etc. on their toes, and they will be trying to keep their respective market shares." Agree with that. Anna Orsini says, "If there can be a pizza shop on every in every strip mall, how come grading companies can't put small shops in there so we could walk our cards in, and they can also clear up some of their backlog?" Well, the answer to that is control over the quality of the product they're putting out, and. Well, that, I think that's probably the, the biggest, the biggest, uh, the biggest people, thing. How many people do you think touch your card when it gets sent in for grading? One person opens the package. It goes to a room. Someone verifies the cards on the order. If there's any cards on the order that are not already in the system, someone's got to investigate those cards. That's another person. Then they go to grading. The grader grades the cards. Then they go back. They get slabbed. Then they get verified. Like seven people, and then someone ships it. Seven or eight people are touching your order. You can't, I mean, it just doesn't make sense. I mean, well, it's just, yeah. you're going to have the infrastructure it needs to be like it is. They need to have control, security. And segregation of duties. There needs to be segregation of duties, of duties between receiving and grading. Otherwise, of duties, um, security. I mean, these are valuable assets. You can't have them flying next door to Sparrow's Pizza. Or, come on. I mean, you got to have a, you got to have a much higher, it's going to be Fort Knox in these places now. Yeah, no, lots of reasons for that. That will never, I don't think, happen. Now, if the idea of putting a grading machine in every uh, card shop ever comes to fruition, then that might be different because you don't have the human grading it. But then, you know, yeah, the security thing isn't an issue because you're in and you're out potentially, but who knows? 
Uh, Tiger Jordan says, Nat has a positive reputation in the hobby and his collection is obviously revered. If PSA doesn't make transformational changes, I worry he becomes unfairly criticized for collector grievances. Yeah, good point, good point. And I wonder how concerned he is about that because that's motivation for him to really take take the ship, take the wheel and start steering this thing. I'm a poker player and I read people. And what I read right now with him, I don't think he gets, I think he's going to march. I think he's going to do what they need to do. I think every guy, just the names I recognize in that group, they are marched by the dream, being of your own drummer kind of guys. And they're going to do what they think is best. And I don't think a bunch of guys who, you know, drive ice cream trucks are going to be able to comply. I'm not saying every collector is like that, but people who are like normal people are not going to be able to talk them out of this vision. They're not going to put them down. And like, I get concerned when I read, whenever people put me down on a message board, it pisses me off. They're not going to read the message board. They're not going to care. They're going to focus on the business. I care too much, probably. You know, they're not going to be as in the weeds as I am, probably. They're going to focus on the big picture vision and strategic nature of what they're trying to do. They're not going to really, you're not going to talk them into being paranoid about doing things because you don't like what they're doing. They're really not going to care. They're going to do what needs to be done to take it to the next level. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I hope that they do. Uh, Steven Mikey from the Sports Card Expo are watching while breaking a box of Chronicles. Guys, good luck with that. Anonymous Facebook user. I always say, guys, watch on YouTube. I can see who you are, and it just makes this much more fun. Says PSA graders make six figures. Are uh, you there's a PSA some, grader? Some do, some do, but I know three that make under 50,000. Okay. They're, they're rookie graders. I know, I, know, I know people make all different ranges. But, yes, some do make six figures. Okay, here come here comes a couple of uh, comments, Brian. What this one? This one's for you, Brian. Gareth Miller says there will never be a junk wax era again. I like this guy's passion, but I strongly believe he's wrong on this. Do you want to do you want to speak to that? Yeah, sure. Okay, we make a product, and our production numbers have gotten pretty good size now. I mean, I don't we don't announce our print runs because they're not you know the market will determine if it's too many or not. I don't want words to do that. But if we sold a third of what we sell now. Leaf would be extremely profitable. We'd be happy. And we can't get any more assets from the players to make more, really. So we have to find new ways to grow our business. Because you can't, players aren't going to sign infinite amounts of autographs. We already can't get the guys to finish the autographs they commit to. And if you don't believe me, ask Benini. They're having problems, too, getting cards from guys. There's no more assets to buy. Now, when you guys quit relying on autographs and game use and things like that to drive these products, we might be able to overproduce again. But a junk wax era like we saw in the 90s, never, ever. First off, the assets are too expensive. And the last thing we want to do as companies is make 500 cases unsold and pouring all the huge amounts of money into autographs and assets that we have to to make those. If we were just printing cards that would be different because it costs very little to print a card without technology. But those days are over. You know, printing chrome or printing metal or printing your prism, whatever you want to call it, is expensive. You know, buying the autographs now, you have no idea how expensive they are. It's getting more expensive, not cheaper. So I, I, I will bet against a junk wax era again for sure. Could it take a step back at some point? Sure, because guess what? Things that go straight up come straight down. Look at the dot-com era. It's a perfect proof of that. I want to see increases and slight corrections and increases because you need guys who feel like it's frothy to sell. Let's get them out and let the next group come in. 
That's how you see a long-term growth. So 100%, I'll bet everything I own against a junk wax era again. There's no chance of that. But manufacturers have to be responsible. There's no doubt about it. And I think that's why this rally is fueled. Well, it's because Panini has been relatively responsible. Tops has been relatively responsible. Upper Deck hasn't, so have we. We've all been relatively responsible in trying to manage what we're putting out there. And I think that's been important because in the past, manufacturer greed has been a sticky thing that's hurt the hobby more than once. And we're not seeing that now, which is a huge plus, huge. Okay, next comment. Anderson, welcome to the show, says, do you ever see a time when the card companies pre-grade and sell only pre-graded cards? Well, Brian's grading service, no, I'm just kidding. No, but you know what? I, I don't think the manufacturers, we don't have time for this. I mean, really, we're being honest. We're all stressed right now. You talk to people at Panini, they haven't had a vacation. My guys can't take vacations. I mean, not that we're going to go anywhere during COVID anyway, but we're all dying with just trying to get great products out the door and getting guys to sign that make millions of dollars and who really don't need us, convincing them to sign. So, like, we don't have time to grade the stuff also, you know? Although, you know, if you want Brian's grading service, drop me a line and leave CEO on Twitter and I'll maybe you'll see, maybe you'll see uh, Brian's grading service or leave grading someday. Who knows? Well, the other thing is that there's just not a demand to have every card graded. So I, while I understand the question uh, to Anderson and appreciate it, I just think it's it would almost be ridiculous to the point where, you know, what it, a good way to look at it is what percent. I don't know that we know the answer, but what percentage of cards get graded or, or are desired to be graded by collectors? And it's certainly not 100 percent. It, it's going to be much better. Yeah. Well, uh, there's more commons than there are stars in sets. I mean, in prison basketball, it's it's 30 cards that people grade. Yeah. Yeah. Out of 300. Will Sani wants uh, wants Buffett's jeans. I think we all want to live as long as this guy does, eating and eating the way he does. Uh, Charles says, "Will there be junk wax era again? Maybe. However, will it be as bad as early '90s? No. Just stay positive and hope everything is under control. And that's kind of the leap of faith that a lot of us, a lot of collectors, kind of need to take. And and with having with the new change of PSA." In a way, you know, it's a it's a bit of a leap of faith, but I think we have uh, something to stand on in that we, as in that Nat Turner is a known entity. Uh, I guess the other people in, in the investor group are known entities as well in the hobby. So I think it's a good thing. I think it's a good thing. Uh, Tiger Jordan says the bigger aspect of the deal is less about Nat being part owner and more about the business going private will allow PSA to make more aggressive investments and innovations without fear of showing short-term ROI. Yes. 100% agree. Agree. Gareth says, I love this hobby, but nothing's ever in control. It's all chaos. The sky is falling. We'll take that with a grain. I know you're kidding. Gareth. Can I say one thing on that real quick? Please. You're a stock guy. The way you know you're at the top is you cannot find anyone who doesn't believe. Everyone believes. So I love when people are nervous and when they don't think there's anywhere to go, we're at the high point. That's what fuels my fire. As long as people are scared or nervous, we're fine. It's only when the biggest bears suddenly become bulls that you have to really start assessing where you're at. So I love the fact that people are still nervous about, man, have we come too far? Have we done this? Have we done that's how Tesla got to 500 split it pre-split, you know, or post-split, 600. It got there because people never believed at any price. They never believed. And as long as there are doubters, you have a chance. But when everybody believes, that's why Apple's stuck at 119 and can't go anywhere because everybody owns it because everyone believes. There's no doubters anymore. 
The yeah. doubters are what fuels incredible growth. You need things to sell for new records. You know, if if the Honus Tito Six Honus Wagner didn't sell a few times, we'd never see it go up and you need you need liquidity to a degree in in all assets for prices to go up. It, it has to happen. Yeah. Joel has a serious question for you, Brian. He wants to know if you could give it all up and be a winning professional poker player, would you? I think I could be a winning player. The problem is I don't think I could do quite as well as I do in the card business. Brian, but, you but better. I could be a winning your, your poker face needs to be better than it was when I played poker with you in about 2012 or 13. Well, you have to understand, I, you know, I, I, got good, I got a good read on you, Brian. How about this? When I play with you guys, I play every hand. Now, I, I think Joel seen me more recently. I tightened my game up a lot and I started playing hardcore. I started playing like I was playing in, you know, my chips are, can't be replaced. You know, I have to love and nurture them kind of play. And I used to just be wild, man. I play every hand because I figured I can outplay people on the flop always. And now today I'm much more, I'm much more of a rock. But, you know, pre-COVID, I had an amazing run before. A poker room opened across the street from my house. And I was crushing the game every night. It was unbelievable. And then COVID came, so I kept my fat butt at home, you know. But, uh, but yeah, I could be a professional poker player, but I think uh, I'm, I'm much happier in the card business. I love this. This is what I was born to be. You do. Ed Seat says the reason why there was a junk arrow was because the companies made a few of a few products a year so they could keep printing the product throughout the year. Makes sense to me. Yeah. Thousand percent. Yep. Okay. Uh, let's see what else we got. Oscar Dad, question for Brian. Does your business have to pay players more for on-card autos compared to sticker autos, or is it all part of their contract price? This is a great question because I'll be honest, more of our products are going to sticker than ever before. And a lot of people don't like that and they criticize it. But here's the issue. The guys, number one, are losing cards left and right. And in some cases, they can't be replaced because of the technology. We can't reprint just one player's cards in a certain technology. So like suddenly they're gone forever. I will tell you this football season, five players lost complete packages of cards because they're moving around from training to the pro camp to this, to that. I mean, one player, I've sent him three batches of the same cards. He's lost them every time. I'm like, what the hell? And then this guy left his cards in this city. This guy left him. That's how we come out with products like Trinity Football we just came out with in freaking October. Like, that's poor. That's poor execution on our part. That should have been out in July. The problem is getting on-card autographs during the season is impossible. These guys won't sign. So in football, we're going to mainly sticker because then we can get all the stickers up front, and these products are going to come out fast. And, yes, they won't be on card, but you won't be tickled about on some of the releases. Some of them are already stickers. But because they come out much faster and much earlier, they'll have more premium value because there won't be as many cards out when they come out. So there's a trade-off. But the biggest issue is players are getting the point. Like when we call Giannis, if I say Giannis, I'm going to send you 300 cards, he would laugh at me. Like he would laugh at me physically. So, like, if I'm not going to do a big batch to last for six months or a year, and you can't just go print Giannis's cards. It doesn't work like that. You have to, like, print the whole product. So what would happen is these biggest players would all be redemptions in every product. And we just – I'm not going to do that. I think the sticker autograph – I'll tell you, if you don't believe the sticker autograph, if you think the sticker autograph is the worst thing ever, go look at the autographs that are fading off of cards that are signed on card. Like Mike Trout, Bowman, Chromes. The trade for ten, fifteen thousand dollars. Those autographs are disappearing. The pool holes as well. Pool holes disappearing. 
I mean, 2011 Leaf Metal Football, the autographs are disappearing. They changed pens the one year, and, it, and they're not holding up. So that's what happens with on-card. I don't see a whole lot of stickers disappearing, do you? And then also no, when a guy dies, we had Carrie Fisher autographs a year after she died because we had stickers. If she was only on card, that would have been quite a feat getting her to sign those. So I mean, there's, we're still doing Gordy Howe autographs. The guy's been dead for three years. We're still doing Gordy Howe autographs all the time. There you go. There's an argument for stickers being a good thing. But, uh, but again, a lot of people are going to see that as that's blasphemy. How dare I say stickers can be a good thing. But I think there's some positives that come with stickers and there's some negatives. As a purist, I love the player touching the card, you know, but it's not exactly the same. So me as a mate, we don't pay a different price per se, but the problem is some people just say no. If we say, like I just did a deal with a major, major A-list actor, and I paid the guy almost $500 an autograph, okay? So it's a big name. And, but the deal had to happen right now. If I had to print cards, he wouldn't have got the cards till next March, next April. The deal's not happening. So it's stickers or screw you, Brian. So I took stickers. You know, so I mean, that's, that's a huge thing. That's a huge thing. So yes, the stickers are here to stay. I'm shocked Panini and other companies haven't gone to even more stickers. I think that's coming in the future, though. I think it's just the, it's just the only way they're going to continue to manage. we got to get redemptions cut down across the board. That is, a, that is an industry problem, and stickers help to eliminate that issue. Yeah, and they help to uh, reduce the redemptions that are in packs. And then and it's a problem. The redemptions have become a major problem. It's yeah. not fun. That's not fun part of this business is redemptions. All right. Ziggy No says, I will keep saying it. We need more competition in the market. We would get better cards and more choices. I'm tired of Color Blast everything and Prism every color. And you know what? We are all entitled to what we like and what we want. I will just say to that, the stuff is selling. I see people it loving it. So. Um, you know, I think there's there's a demand for it, and uh, but that said, yes, competition is is good in every market for the most part. It's, you know, of course, in this hobby, it, there you you just you just don't know what would happen, and there's licensing issues and all this stuff. But yes, competition is good. I, I think that just goes without saying. That's why there's anti-competition uh, laws <laughs> everywhere. So okay, Bob Diggity says, I love that Leaf affords a budget collector like myself chances to get a Soto RC auto, Mahomes rookie cards, etc cards that are four digits elsewhere one suggestion is please put some quirky write-ups on the back i got to agree with that enough of the congratulations which i've you been don't like our congratulations you got an autograph congratulations i spent my money and i got what i was buying what i knew i was gonna get but congratulations you got a uh you got a teddy bridgewater <laughs> you know it doesn't have to be I mean, it's funny when you get like a common player who never hits. Congratulations, yeah. you got a loser. So it should say sucker instead. And we try to do some bio stuff, but honestly, a lot of it, you would be surprised how many times players have refused to sign cards because we got their weight wrong or their height wrong. And we pulled it off of publicly available data. We actually had a player refuse to sign because it said he weighed 240 and he weighed 230. And it's like, are you kidding me? He was, I didn't know how much I weigh. And I was like, are you kidding me? And the guy would not sign the card because the weight was wrong. So, like, that's why we try to steer clear of things that are – it just – you can't understand. I can only tell you, trust me, I'm a card purist. I wish it was a whole encyclopedia there. Yeah. But it's not. All right. Gareth says, Tops has also increased the print runs by quite a bit. If you compare the pack odds from, say, 2011 to 2020, I believe if companies did reveal print runs, it would be great for the hobby. What do you think of that, Brian? What do you think of, you know, 
We don't know the print run of a Connor McDavid or a Sidney Crosby Young Gun or a Luca Prism Silver or any of these things. Why why don't the card and try and keep this one a little bit short, but why don't the card companies reveal the print runs? Unless they're serially numbered, of course. Yeah, I mean serial number cards are what they are. I think honestly there's some value to the mystery. Because like Panini, like in contenders, when it comes out, they don't tell you which cards are short printed. So there's always a chase while people are trying to figure out what's short print, and then they tell you like levels, like super short print, mega short print, whatever. Kind of, it's kind of fun that part of it. I think the bigger issue is I don't think a lot of collectors understand that a number that seems very, very high in today's market is very limited. Like if I told you I made a thousand cases of a product, you could say, "Holy crap!" Every leaf print run used to be two hundred, but like. The demand for these products, if the demand's 2,800 cases, 1,000 is way underprinted. But a lot of collectors can't get their arms around what scarcity really is relative. Like if you knew there were 4,000 Jason Dominguez Bowman Chrome autographs, would that affect your opinion? Does it change if there's only 1,500? Does 4,000 sound like a lot to you? But do you really have a good point of reference to know if it's a lot? That's the thing. Well, all Let they us- the only points of reference are other cards and their populations. Let's let's talk about the uh, the Luca for a sec. The Luca Prism, whatever the PSA ten population is, call it fifteen thousand or something right now. Maybe seventeen, maybe eighteen. <laughs> to me, that's a fraction of the people that live in Dallas. Everybody in Dallas knows who Luca is. I'm not saying everybody in Dallas collects sports cards, but there's got to be fifteen thousand people in Dallas alone that want a Luca Prism rookie card. Yeah, no, and I, and I think here's the thing. If that card, if there were only 500 of that card made, you wouldn't own it because you would never be able to afford it. And not you, but you generally, people, would not be able to afford these cards. You need there to be that many Luca Prisms out there so that you can actually own one. And, and guess what? How many shares of Apple stock do you think there are? There's plenty. You can buy as much as you want, but it's still worth owning. And I'm not saying this is Apple stock, but any alt investment. It doesn't matter how many there are as long as there's twice as many people that want it. And the, and the production now is too low compared to what demand is. Demand is at an all-time high. And hopefully it stays there. Hopefully it stays there. Super bad says, I think people are using their profits from the stock market to buy into sports cards. Yeah, and it could be. They're getting their money from different places. Gareth says, I appreciate the interview, guys. I'm not trying to be a hater. Jeremy already has a hater from the Virtual <laughs> Expo. Yes, I do. And I got to say, that's a bit of a feather in my cap to have a hater. So I think it's my first one. I got so, a few. Congrats. Welcome. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, man. Thanks. We'll, we'll have a cheers next time I see you post-COVID. Uh, Charles says, at the end of the day, guys can be investors or collectors, but it's all about the cards, man. There you go, Charles. Bringing it back down into perspective. It's all about the cards. Nothing matters more than the cards. We love the cards. Legion says, can we get any juicy hints on next year's Pop Century signers? Love the product. A fun distraction from the stress of sports collecting. You got anyone you can tease us with, Brian? Yeah, I'm trying to think. Um, Some of the headliners that we have, and and there will be, how about this? I can also tease that in addition to Pop Century, there will be an ultra, ultra, ultra low print run Pearl Pop Century, which will be a high-end entertainment product. But I can tell you the rare signers we've already gotten, Michael Keaton has never signed before. He was Batman. He's an expensive autograph. Like photos on eBay are three, four, five hundred on Michael Keaton. I couldn't believe my eyes, but he's expensive. Michael Keaton signed. Well, we got Sly Stallone this week. So Sly Stallone will be signing for Pop Century next year. 
Um, we're getting Ray Liotta. Um, I just did a rapper a few minutes, Fetty Wap. I don't know if you know Fetty, but he's great. So we're adding like weird cool names. I'm getting some of the bachelors. I'm getting, I think I just did a deal for Rain Wilson from The Office. Oh. Everyone loves Dwight. You got Dwight? So like, yes. So I mean, you understand working from home here every day now, I'm like an animal. Like I'm frantically out doing deals with everybody I can do because I want, you know, I want to get new names. I want to create more excitement than ever. And I can tell you, I've done more deals in the last month than in the last year. Chuck Norris. I got Chuck Norris in Pop Century. I love it. Cool name. Cool name. Well, um, you had you had me at Dwight. I really want you to work hard. Get Pam and Jim and uh, Eve, even. Me, I'm trying. I, I want all of them. And we had some of the lesser people on the show. And people love those cards. Like, you know, we had Meredith and Oscar and Creed. And yeah. people collected those. They liked them. So I know this is going to be exciting. And again, we just, Stacy Keebler, the old WWF girl or w, whatever, the very popular, beautiful gal. She's in the product. Like I told you, we got Betty Wap, the rapper, Joey. And we're adding all kinds of people. You have no idea. And so we're just, we're getting deeper and deeper and deeper in the deals. So right. I, think, I think you're going to love Pop Century next year. This year was great. Next year will be new level. There you go, Legion. Sean Robb has an interesting question. He says, do you see strong European and or Asian demand for leaf products? Starting to see a little Europe. You know, at the industry summit, I probably met with five or seven people from Europe who tell me that the UK and other places are starting to really grow. Asia, absolutely. We do. We have a good Asian customer base. And, um, you know, that market is very, very strong. That's no doubt about it. But I'm seeing a general growth in the UK and other places. I'm seeing growth. Where I'm not seeing growth is places like Germany. And I mean, like some of those markets that there are some hockey customers there, you're not seeing the other sports really take off like I thought they might. But the UK is starting to pick up. So that's promising. That's but again, we, we, we sell everything we make. Today we sold out of Valiant Baseball in 30 minutes. That was how long it lasted. 30 minutes we sold out. So like there's not like a lot. I don't need to go chase customers all over the world. I can't take care of the United States. I can't take care of Texas. I mean, I can't take care of their customers right now. We turned away. We turned away over a hundred people, dealers on Valiant Baseball. We turned them away and said we couldn't supply you because they replied 35 or 40 minutes after I sent out the email. That's the problem with the industry. But that's why I'm telling you we're in the second inning of a nine inning game. Yeah, that's a yeah. good sign. That's a really good sign. All right, Chris. Chris West says, some sticker autos look nice if the design is made with them in mind. After the fact, slapping a sticker on looks bad. I'm with you 100% on that. Joe goes on to say, does Leaf instruct players to keep the autos on the sticker and not have the signature spilling over so that it's incomplete? That is, that is a challenge. That's the worst thing about stickers. And it's hard to keep the autograph on the sticker, especially when a guy has a big autograph. So like right now, we, we have a deal in place for a great player one of the greatest players in his sport ever. And the deal's about to fall apart because he can't sign a sticker. But he wants all his autographs done in the next 14 days. And I'm like, we can't print cards for five releases in 14 days. And he said, I can't sign a sticker. My hands are too big. Which tells me he's probably a basketball player. And he just, he can't sign stickers. He said, the sticker was about five times the size I could sign. So but why don't you, why don't you do a bigger sticker? Well, he wants a sticker that's like triple, quadruple our sticker now, which would take the whole card up. So, which I don't know if we can do a sticker that would cover the whole card. Maybe, who knows? But like Mike Tyson, Mike Tyson can't sign stickers anymore. And you don't want him to because he could barely get his name on the sticker. Sometimes it's not their fault, though. 
like Tim Curry, who is like in a wheelchair and is in a terrible shape. The fact that he gets ink on the sticker at all is pretty impressive, you know? And so some people it's a physical issue. And so I don't want to pick on them because it's a physical issue. Yeah. Other guys like Tua, his autograph's just big and fast. And it's just impossible to sign a thousand stickers and stay on the sticker. It's impossible. And so we know that's an issue. You know, we try to weed out the ones that are terrible. But if a little bit goes off the sticker, you know, I'm not like this one place I disagree with Beckett. Like they give nine autographs. If any part of the autograph goes off the sticker, I don't think that's the, I don't think that's, that's probably the right way to do it. But yeah, we wish they would. Again, that's part of the issue is there's no way. What am I going to do? Tell a slice to loan you're out because you got three stickers off the sticker. Yeah. Not going to happen. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Okay. Greg, who works with you at Leaf says we have stickers of about eight deceased hockey legends. That's, that's, that's cool. I mean, products can keep on coming. That's nice to know. Tim Witzman says, Brian, I don't know if it's been asked yet, but would you ever consider making a Pokemon buyback product? People have asked me about this for years with magic. They wanted a magic buyback product. And I gotta be honest, the stuff is so expensive now. I'm just not sure that, you know, I'm not sure what you'd make or how you'd price it or you know, I I mean, honestly, we got to stay in our lane. We're going to cut back the number of buybacks we're making next year anyway. And we made five buybacks this year. We're cutting it back to two next year. Not because they don't do well, because they do phenomenal. It's just we're stretched right now. We have to pick our spots and pick which products take priority. And our original content, like the multi-sport products and stuff, are doing so well. We've got to focus on those. So we're actually going to cut back on buybacks. So I don't think I'll be adding Pokemon or Magic anytime soon. But you never know. I could always surprise someone if the right deal popped up. Okay. Yeah. You know, and there are opportunities there. There are lower buy-in points in Pokemon uh, where you could do something, but and it would obviously sell out. There's no doubt about that. Uh, Absolute says, can stickers be better incorporated into the card so they don't just seem slapped on there? We've we've addressed that since the comment. And Greg, and Greg Cohn, who does our production, or a lot of our design and organization and uh, product development, does a really good job of integrating those stickers. Sometimes that's, there's less integration this, than others. That's this Greg Cohn right here who, uh, Chris, yes, he is the product builder for Leaf. Com C Barry is in the house. Welcome, Barry. Barry at Com C says, my thought is that companies compete for a bigger piece of the pie, but the industry also collaborates to grow the pie. That wasn't really evident in the junk wax era. Correct. Well said, they used, Barry. They used to say greed is good, but greed was what caused the junk wax era. Enjoying success is not the same as greed. Yes, yes. <laughs> okay, uh, what else we got here? Um, I'm just scanning a few of the comments here, guys. We've got a couple long ones, so they take me a bit to scan through, but I'm going to put this one out here from Ziggy says, but Panini does tell what is short print. If the manufacturers want us to trust they are protecting the hobby, they should release print runs after X amount of years. Not right away but they should be released. When was I mean, the last time Panini told you how many cases of a product they made? But that, that's not the issue. That's not the question, Brian. The question is not when, but if and should. And will would the is this one of these things, Brian, where it's like, are we better off not knowing? Not because it's a number that would tank anything, but is it better for the values of the cards? What's the What's the number one reason why they don't put out the print runs? Is it the mystery? I, I don't know. I think I think there's some element to let the market figure out if the number's right. 
and don't try to get preconceived notions to it. You know, I've never really thought about that. We we made a rule when we first started LEAF that any case that's printed under 300 cases, we would announce the printout, which is why some products are numbered. You'll see numbered cases, but you'll never see a case numbered over 300. That was my initial thought when we started in the business, was if something is truly, truly mega short in case production, let's number the cases. But over a certain point, the numbering doesn't matter anymore. Like what I hate is when you open a, a pack of cards and you get a card number to 9,999. Why waste the foil on that? Yeah. You know what it cost them 15, 20 cents to stamp that number on there? To tell you that they made 10,000 of them? That's not perceived scarcity in a world where cards number to 25 sell for $3. True. I mean, why would you number something to 10,000? So this is, I think at this stage, you can't argue with the fact that if you look at what people pay for refractors and prism silvers and these different things, not numbering those cards has not meant a hill of anything. You know, we, we can talk we can talk all day about they should tell us this, but Greg jumps in here and he says there's a huge difference between assuming there's two million Connor McDavid Young guns and having it confirmed will never happen. Greg worked for Upper Deck. He works at Leaf now. I think when he says it will never happen, we just got to accept that. And to the guys that are, you know, like Ziggy, who, who likes to talk about this and, and say we need to know, it's one of those things where I think we just have to take it for what it is and move on. I think there's bigger fish to fry. Dennis says, as an autograph guy that I that I am, what do you think about the weak signatures the players have nowadays, and do you try to control it, Brian? Um, I mean, again, some of the autographs are not so pretty. You know, some of the autographs are better, but it's just... But do you encourage the players to have a nicer autograph? Do you ask to see it? Talk to them, but I mean, again, a lot of times we're not getting to talk to the player a whole lot, you know? We may sit down with a guy for a signing here and there, but a lot of times we're sending them to the agent, the agent sitting down with them. But again, you know, if someone does a Vernon Morrissey where they put a check mark, we're just not going to pay for those and not going to use them. But we haven't had that many bad ones. The hard ones are like CD Lamb looks kind of like a big circle, a big oval. Calvin Ridley looked the same. He was like a big oval. So it's kind of like, what am I going to do? Tell CD Lamb your autograph sucks. You know, if he just puts a straight line, I'm not going to accept that. He puts a check mark, I'm not going to accept that. Or just the letter C. I'm probably not going to accept that. Yeah. But like, it's his autograph. Do you work, you do know? you ever work it into the contract itself? Like does, do they have to give you a sample of what it's going to look like? Or you just sign them and hope no, for that? No, that's the problem. That's how we don't get deals done. The more, when you start putting restrictions, like if we said, if you don't have your stickers back within two weeks, we're not paying for them. We wouldn't get any deals. Yeah. If we said your autograph has to be this level of quality, if we can refuse it, if we don't like your autograph, we'd never get a deal. So like we have to find that balance between doing business and getting deals because you guys want deals. We have to find that balance between that and not caring. You know, we have, there's something in between there. It's not like we don't care. We just got to make sure we also deals. So we are an advocate for you with these players, but we also have to be realistic and know that once they go pro, they don't need our money anymore. Right. Giannis doesn't need sticker money. He does it to be nice. He doesn't have to do that anymore. Got it. Okay, so. let's keep going. Andrew Oliver welcome says, would love to see members of the Red Hot Chili Peppers in Pop Century, as would I, Brian. Rod, that would be cool. Rod Booth in the house says, Brian has to get the trailer park, boys. That would be fun. Joel Alpert wants more Britney Spears. I made another offer this week, so we'll see what happens. I love Britney. I'd love to have her in the product again. Oz Card Dad says, you know you're making an impact and have some relevance that the haters are going to the effort of hating. Keep up the good work, Jeremy. Thank you, Oz Card Dad. I, I appreciate that. That's really nice of you. Thank you so much. 
Chris Tickner says, why doesn't Chuck Norris get deceased? Because deceased are afraid of Chuck. Yeah. The Grim Reaper is scared of Chuck Norris, I think is what you're saying. Well, right no, there. I, I heard, I saw on CNN a few minutes ago that COVID got Chuck Norris. <laughs> you know, you know, it's just, that's how it is. Chuck Norris is invincible. It's amazing how old he is. And we have pictures of him doing his signing a few weeks ago. And I swear, he looks like he's in his 60s. And he ain't in his 60s. But it's amazing. He's in great shape. Disco Slob says, Leaf is neat. There you go. Chris West says, Companies don't fight over the same pieces of pie anymore. Now they try to make their own piece bigger, which is really, that's a good thing overall. Make the pie bigger. Can we stop talking about Panini? I was having a good day. Greg Cohen. Uh, they're good guys. They're good guys. And they, and they do a great job for the hobby. You know, everybody loves everybody loves to hate the big guy, but I think they do a good job. And they're good people there. That's a, that's the other thing. You know, a lot of times we don't know who's behind these these brand names and these emails that you might be sending off. They're, they're good people there, and everyone is challenged right now. I encourage people on every episode just about to have some patience. I know you got beefs. I understand your frustrations out there. I get it. But I think we just have to be a little bit patient. I know you've been patient for some people have been patient for a year waiting for a response on things. It's a tough situation. Greg Cohn says, better off not knowing print runs. What happens to a card you paid X for and you find out five years later the print run and it potentially damages the value? Could be. Mike says, BG, where is the Madonna coat? Will it be in relics? No, you know what? They I got an email from Fanatics this week saying that they haven't heard back from Madonna because of COVID, and just please be patient. So my birthday came, and she didn't call me and sing happy birthday because I guess she's on hiatus with COVID. So I guess that's next year. I get my coat and my happy birthday serenade from Madonna. So Madonna is not fulfilling her redemption. Even Madonna can't get her redemption <laughs> hey, back, guys. She's busy. She's got a bunch of kids, you know. She's busy. She's yeah, just like everybody else that works in this industry is busy and life is busy and COVID and people aren't working at that. You know, we're working from home now, all that kind of stuff. And for the first time tonight, I am happy that we are at the bottom of the comments. Thanks, everybody, for all the comments tonight. If you have enjoyed this show, hit that thumbs up button on YouTube. If you haven't enjoyed the show, hit Don't that hit thumbs, thumbs up, up button up. on YouTube. If you haven't subscribed yet, please subscribe to the to the channel. I greatly appreciate it. We've had second this is the second best viewership we've had, Brian. It's not number 1. It's your number 1, but it's not number 1. When I had Jeff you beat me, so I'll know who to knock off. You got to knock off Jeff Wilson from Sports Card Investor brought over 10,000 views to, to one of my oh, videos, way more than any other video I've done. So I believe that. Try, uh, here, this, is, uh, this is Mikey from the Sports Card Expo says, trying to get, uh, oh wait, hold on. He says, selling a set of 1990 Leaf Series 1 and 2, beautiful setback men and still love the stuff. Trying to get a metal lamello. Yeah, Keep we had lamello when he was a kid. Unbelievable. You will get it. You will get it. What do we have here? Uh, hey, BG, any plan on doing basketball products like you do with other sports? No. Basketball draft is one place we're not going to go. And I'll be honest, I think Panini does a good job there. And I think that the timing of their products, there's not really a place. I don't think there's really a place in that market for a bunch of draft pick stuff. Um, I think football is where there's a great place. And we've established such a strong brand there. We're going to focus on football and baseball for draft picks and really try to do a great job. But you'll see some different things out of us this year. Basketball draft picks will not be one of them. Got it. Okay. 
Charles is wowed, 120 viewers. I see more, but I see who's watching on all the platforms. But thank you, Charles. Troy Peterson, much appreciated. Great show tonight. Really love that. Legion with a tip for the host. Thank you so much, Legion. Great. Legion's a loyal viewer. Love I having love, you here. I love that he tipped you for $2.99. Yeah. You're worth millions, buddy. You're worth millions. I get the odd tip on the show, BG. It makes me, I don't, I don't care how much it is. It I makes me I tip you. It's just, will, you, will you give me a place to tip the dollar bill in if I tip you? <laughs> I will. I'll send you the cup. You can send it back to me. Thank you, sir. You got it. You got it. Julian Lim, welcome. Fun show. Thank you so much, Julian. Here's a good question. You're going to like this one, Brian. Sean Robb wants to know, what are some cards you are buying on the se secondary market? Everyone wants to know, what is Brian Gray buying on the secondary market right now, this week? Well, I'll tell you this. I'll, as I told you a minute ago, we're actually cutting back our buybacks. We have no buyback needs at the moment. So everything You're buying. I'm buying, You're always everything buying, I'm buying as of today is personal, like portfolio building. That's and again, I'm it's a lot of the same stuff that I've been saying all along. I'm still gobbling up 90% of the Acuna PSA 10s that hit eBay. I let a few sell without me sometimes. But um, I've been gobbling. I've been I gobbled up a ton of 89 and Brett Griffey BGS 95s. They dipped and they went below 500 for a couple of weeks. And I gobbled up a 20 pack of those. Um, I gobbled up 20 or 25 uh, Mookie bets Bowman Chrome 95 autos because they got down at one point. I was buying them below 900. Now they're back up over a thousand again. But I, I gobbled up a 20 pack of those. So I mean, right now my number one buy is not even a card. I got to be honest, my number one buy, which I cleaned eBay out, and a lot of people were nagged on me because I was too clever, is uh, they just came out with a Barack Obama autographed book that was available on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble. And that book you can buy on eBay for four and a quarter to four fifty, and it's the easiest money in the history of the world. <laughs> uh, at four and a quarter, I'll take a thousand. I'll put four hundred twenty-five thousand into that one book. You know, they're going to be eight hundred. They were. I bought. I bought two books for eight fifty the week before this came out. So that's what Obama books were trading for. They were garbage books. It's a beautiful slipcover. So honestly, I'm putting a lot of money into that asset. So since we talk about collectibles generally, that's the number one alt asset. That and I've been buying a lot of Taylor Swift autographed CDs. On her website, she's selling them for 13 bucks for another three minutes, I think, or, or an hour. $13 okay. for autographed CDs, limit four per person. And I own about 900 of them that I paid higher for. I paid a lot higher. But you put them on sale for the holidays. So I think that's a – I mean, again, I would buy – at $13, I would buy 10000 You know, so I mean, like, there's, there's value all over the place. Cards, autographs. You know, Pokemon, there's value everywhere. You just got to look for it. And you have to, I talked to someone the other day, you got to zig. When everyone else zags, zigs, you got to zag. Me and Dr. Beckett talked about this on the Hobby Hotline show. Everybody's zigging one way. They're all buying shiny prism. So we're buying cardboard. Let's, when everyone, uh, comes, when everyone let's, comes to cardboard, we'll buy shiny prism. I want to shout out Hobby Hotline for a sec, guys. If you don't know about it, check out the YouTube channel, Hobby Hotline. It's a Saturday morning live call-in hobby show with a, a cast of hosts. There's probably a dozen different guys that show up and host it. I'm one of them. Brian Gray is one of them. Dr. James Beckett is one of them. Ziggy No, who's in the in the crowd tonight, he does it as well. It's a great, it's a great show. Really interesting stuff. Check it out. Hobby hotline. All right. Joe says 90 Lee Frank Thomas. Those were the days. I know, Joe, we've reminisced about that card before in those days. I am with you on that. Oz Cardad, always a good show. And Brian is on. Here's to plenty more appearances. Love his passion and his ideas of the hobby. Jeremy, how do I get to be the first person with four appearances? What do I have to? Who do I have to like? 
grease the palm of around here because I want to set a record. If I can't, if I can't bring over a bunch of, uh, I haven't really tried to bring over a bunch of people, but you know, I haven't, I haven't tried to beat the ten thousand from Sports Card Investor, but I want to be the first four-time guest. So, whoever you might have a good contact with, let's make this happen, please. please? Send me an email. Okay, great. <laughs> Troy Medina, one of the best as always. Welcome to third inning of the hobby. There you go. Chris That's West. Probably right there, except the second inning. Who is a dream get for autographs to include in a product? Um, you know, the ones we've been chasing the hardest um, for a long time now. Um, Scarlett Johansson, Jennifer Aniston, Jennifer Lawrence, and the celebrity side of things. Those have been like three of our super wants, pay whatever it takes to get them. You know, Paul McCartney. You know, there's a whole lot of names that are never going to do cards that we would love to have. Yeah. Um, in the sports side of things, um, there's not a whole lot of White Wells because Barkley was my White Well and ended up signing for Panini, so he was gotten. Um, I think Tim Duncan is probably one of the White Wells that we're never going to get. Um, Ken Dryden is a White Well we're never going to get. I've had phone conversations with him, and I can assure you we're never going to we're never going to get it, especially after our phone call. Um, well, hey, did Ken Dryden tell you why he won't sign? Does he have a reason? Uh, yes. He, well, first he was mad at me for making game used cards without his image on him, without you know, without a deal with him. Uh, Brian, I don't think you understand how discerning it was to see game used cards without my image, and I did not even know they were out until I saw them in the marketplace. I would really appreciate if you would not make those cards anymore. And I said, well, Mr. Dryden, if you would do deals with people to use your image, I believe collectors would be so excited to get something, you know, that they knew was real. If you'd sign autographs, they would get autographs they know are real instead of fake autographs. I don't believe in selling my autograph. So I said, great, do it for free. <laughs> charity. If you don't want to sell it, do it for charity. Well, I don't feel like I ever want to do that. So, yes, there's going to be guys like Tim Duncan. I had him one-on-one -on -one at my daughter's volleyball tournament because his daughter plays volleyball too. And I said, yo, Tim, I know you hate this, but would you mind signing one thing for me? Just sign one thing for me in person. He said, no, man, I ain't doing that. <laughs> I had him one-on-one, -on -one, dude. It was just me and Duncan. You know, so, I mean, Duncan's a tough one. People would love to get him. The problem with all these guys is the minute you get them, the, the, the love affair is over. Barkley was a $1,500 $1, autograph, but then he got him, he's 150 Once they sign anything, it's over. Then the, then the mystery is over. So those are probably the most desired guys that we just can't get. But, you know, who knows? We'll, we'll keep adding some cool stuff here and there. Right on. Dennis Lescombe says, my favorite show on YouTube. Man, that's a, that's high praise. I love that. Thank you so much, Dennis. Com C. Barry, good, karmi, good karma legion. Go claim your prize. Jeff McMahon, really love the hockey lumber kings. Great product. Charles says, my dad has a whole bunch of 90 Leafs hockey. Some really good pictures. Dave Kaplan in the house. Dave will be my guest on After Hours on this Saturday after the episode with former NHL goaltender Joe Daly. Legion says, hi, Barry. Always good to see you. Oh, yeah. Sometimes I read these comments where the guys are talking to each other. Brian just gets out in front of ah. me there. Oz Card Dad says, Brian, have you ever had any cards of yourself in any of your pro – I got four of them right, right over there somewhere. Not in the packs, but I've signed some at like – one of the Nationals, I signed some inscriptions that were pretty funny, I think. And, <laughs> then, I, and then I've done a couple of different cards that we sold. Like we sold one card at the, at the National that I gave all the money to charity. And so every so often, what's funny is I actually get people to send cards to the office who ask me to sign a card and send it back to them, like just some random Leaf card. 
So like about a month ago, someone sent me an entire set of like my first razor in baseball, like a 200 card set. And so we please sign all the cards. <laughs> and so I actually took a few minutes to sign the 200 card set. Every They're all cards of players, but I just signed them anyway. The guy wanted it. Who knows? What a sucker. He wanted my autograph. <laughs> Well, I at the national a few years ago. I think it was the Atlantic City National, Brian. I opened a product, one of the one of your products at your booth, and along with a, a normal redemption, you could have one of your signed cards that were uh, that were there that I believe Greg gave over to me. So I still have. I think I took three or four of them. Truth be told, um, Mikey likes the uh, likes the uh, Barack Obama idea. Says it's genius. Gareth Miller has tipped the host. I'll increase the tip when we get print runs. All right, Gareth. I'll I won't be uh hanging out. We can also increase the tip when donkeys fly. You know, when pigs fly, we can increase the tip also, which might happen before you hear all the print runs. I wonder why this one is blue and uh Legions was red. I don't know what that I think that 99 cent difference like tipped the scale, took it from like cool to hot. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how that works, but thank you both. I really appreciate it. Okay, Bram, Brad Humber says, Brian, what's the outlook for the continuing soccer products with Leaf? Any chance of seeing a soccer product with on-card autos? No on-card for sure. The problem right now, you can't even go to Europe. I mean, you really can't even go get autographs. We have signings. We have players lined up in Europe ready to sign, including some guys that have never signed cards or have signed very few cards. We can't go over and do signings there right now, not with COVID. So I, if we even get sti- – we don't even want to send stickers there because there have been shenanigans with certain players who've gotten cued. So honestly, all of our soccer signings are witnessed because we've heard stories about very big soccer players who don't sign their stuff, and you almost have to witness it to make sure it's real. So they've had family members sign for them, so we don't want to get involved in that. So we're going to witness them. But especially with the geographic challenges, there are always going to be stickers. Well, if something's on card, that won't be one of them. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. David Kaplan wants to know, how do you resell your inventory, Brian? Now, I assume he knows you own Leaf Trading Cards, so a lot gets sold through the buyback products and that. But how do you go about selling the stuff that you're buying the, the when you're buying for yourself from an investment perspective? Or are you just holding everything? I, I hold a lot. But every so often, like I'll say, like, you know, I bought a bunch of 90 Leaf Frank Thomas PSA 10s. You know, I was buying them at 160 to 200. I gobbled up hundreds of them. You know, they went up to like 300. So when they went up to 300, I actually used like 50 in a buyback product. You know, I, I sold them to the company and then, but then they've come back down to 200 again now. So now I'm buying them again. You know, so it just, you go through these waves, but like Acuna, I've never sold an Acuna. I won't sell one. It's the number one buy in the hobby. Every penny you own could be an Acuna and you could sleep at night. So, but that's my number one card in the hobby at this stage. And it keeps going down. I love it. I have seen you, I have seen you sell cards in different Facebook groups as well at times. Sure. I'll sell some stuff if I don't care about it. But my real positions, the things I love, you'll see me in those same Facebook groups running buy messages. Yeah. You know, looking to buy this card, take a hundred of them, you know, whatever. Awesome. Roddy Booth says, great show, guys, but my eyes are closing and I'm fading. We'll watch the rest tomorrow. Nice to see one live again. It's been a while. It was since you'll be hearing this tomorrow, Rod, hope you had a good sleep. Great to have you back, buddy. Look forward to seeing you at the next Sport Card Expo. Ozdad said, do all those collectibles that just talked about that you just talked about purchasing, does any of that end up in Leaf products? If you're talking about like the autograph stuff, absolutely. Like the Taylor Swift, those will end up being in cuts in Pop Century and other places. So we might cut some Obamas, but honestly, I just think they are a phenomenal value. I mean, they're stunning. We just got our first ones in because the book just released this week. It is so beautiful. 
beautiful slipcover book, big, nice autographs, clean on the title, on the on a blank page. It's beautiful. So, like, I look at stuff like that. I'm bidding at Iconic Auctions, which is a great auction house. There's a piece of that auction that I want for my collection desperately. I don't know if I'll get it. It seems like every time I, I lose by a bid here and there, but there's a piece there I want desperately. So, like, things like that, like I'm looking at a historical piece there that will go in the collection, never get sold or cut up because it's beautiful and stunning. But a lot of the stuff, we have to look at it and say, you know, if it will make a product better from Leaf, I'll sell it to the company or the company will buy the asset and use it, no doubt. And I want to shout out Iconic Auctions because uh, President Jeff Wolf was a guest on the show a couple months ago, and they are the company that sold that Pokemon Charizard first edition Shadowless to rapper Logic for $220,000 or so. So those guys are really gaining some ground in the in the auction market, uh, the, the traditional auction market. No doubt. Colin Murray wants to know, how high can Kobe 96 tops base and Chrome rookies go? Brian, any comment on that? Um, I like Chrome better probably still. I mean, I'll, I'll, the top stuff has gotten really expensive across the board. Um, I buy a lot of those for buybacks, but the Chrome stuff, I still think I still think there's room to grow in that. Kobe was a bit more loved. Like, I mean, LeBron is, is good, great, actually, but I think Kobe was more loved. And, and the untimely death has taken him to a new level of iconic status. It's almost Tupac-ish. Like, he's become an even bigger legend because of what happened. And I think his stuff is probably underpriced relative to LeBron and, and, and comp cards like that. It's good. Again, I like things where I can make 10 times my money. And I don't see a 10 times on – I think Acuna updates will be 1,000. They're 130 right now before Kobe's go up by eight times. You know, I don't think. Yeah, the 8X on Kobe happened uh, – you know, That already happened. About the fall. You missed the 8X. Now you're looking for a 2 or 3X in that card. Yeah, yeah. Disco Slobs ripped four boxes of Lumber Kings, one of my favorites this past year. Thank you very much. Joel Alpert wants to thank you for the reminder. Just bought four more Taylor Swifts. Uh, uh, Charles says, damn, Dave, I'll buy that hour after hour slot off you. Charles, you don't have to buy an after hour slot. We'll schedule you in for another one, buddy. Send me a, send me a message. We'll get you in my man. We'll get you in. You should be optioning those spots off for charity. You might be able to raise some nice money for, uh, for charity for who gets to sit next to you for these after hour spots. Yeah. I'm sure they'll go for big bucks, big bucks. Uh, Mikey says, Brian, when are you going to make an appearance at the Sports Card and Memorabilia Expo live or virtual? You were at the first one. You weren't at this last one. Um, I don't even think I went to the first. I don't think I went to the event. I went to this one, honestly, and I peeked in a couple of rooms. And I just don't see how I can buy it. Like, I went there with the idea I was going to buy. And it's a, it's a hard interaction. You know, it wasn't really – it didn't really fit how I'm used to buying things. Like, I like to look at a selection of stuff and say, I'll take, what's this? How much is it? You know, for me buying from you at the show, Jeremy, it yeah. wasn't the same. I can't buy yeah. in that environment. So well, we're I, would, to- I would challenge you, Brian, because I had it set up where you probably could have. So I'm going to, I'm going to challenge you to uh, challenge your own notion on that. And I, give I, I just, next I time. six rooms at this last one and a lot there, of them not organized well. That's right. That's that's the fact. But myself, a meet who goes by ninety nine goals, we yeah, had yeah. it. We had a good. I did lots of deals again, and people were very um, appreciative of the organization and how easy that's, it was to skim the car. So it 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 will work. And I challenge you to give another chance. Come by my so quick next time. Yeah, come by mine. Check out a meets. Uh, another Doug Lothers Apple Tree. He had a good booth. There were some that were done right. So, and more. Will, it'll keep on getting better. 
What else we got here, guy? We are, you didn't notice, but about 10 minutes ago, I threw up overtime because after the two hour mark, we are officially in overtime. We are going to wind this down pretty soon, but we still have well over 100 people watching and comments are still coming in. So, how are you doing for time, Brian? I'm, I mean, I'm here. The fact that I'm up at this hour means I'm probably going to be up. So, well, I can handle more than you can. You, yeah, you bragged about that in the Facebook post. Yeah, that he said, I, I, I always bug him I can stay up longer than he can. Well, we'll see. We'll see. I'm sure you can actually. All right. What do we have? Another question for Brian. What protocols does Leaf have to do in terms of COVID? Are cards and stickers cleaned or quarantined before being packed? Interesting question. It is. You know, we have a lot. We, we do take a fair amount of uh, procedural care with COVID, obviously, on our facilities and where our people work, social distancing, all these things. We've had two cases of COVID total since this started. They both happened simultaneously. And 10 days later, they're both back at work. And we have not had another case since. And that was in, I want to think like June. So we haven't had a case in over five months. Now, I do know most of our competitors are having cases. And I do know that grading companies are having cases. And there's cases now. The good news for Surface, I don't believe that's quite the concern we once thought it was. Surface transfer, especially by the time we can get the cards put into holders and put them into boxes and ship them. That surface, it feels highly unlikely that there could be any surface issue after that time frame. So you might have some dead corona, but you're not going to get the coronavirus. There you go. All right. Jabra just bought his first Taylor Swift item of his life. Looks like Mike did too. I think Taylor might owe you a small commission here, Brian. Well, she sold them for too small a price. The funny part is she sold them for $13 on this sale. If they had called me and said, Brian, we'll sell you everything we have left at 30 but we won't sell any more after that. I would have bought like 5,000, but like instead they'd rather sell them for $13 limit four. So when I go on the side, I'm blocked now. They block me where I can't buy anymore because I bought so many. I can't even buy anything on their website anymore. Yeah. They're pretty smart IP wise. Okay. We have more comments coming through here. Uh, Joe says, what goes into the actual parsing out of a high-end jersey? Say a Jackie Robinson, who decides what parts get used and what does the actual process look like? Can you do this quickly, Brian? Yeah, Greg Cohn, who you had on the show before, physically pulls those items and selects the pieces of jersey that will be cut and put in the cards. So we're really careful on the high-end because the prices are too high. Like a Bobby Orr jersey, you pay 80000 for it. You know, we have to really put thought into how we are 60,000, how we're going to use that. But we hand select those pieces. Nice. That's nice to know. Oz Cardad says, I think Kobe autos are a better investment, particularly on card autos, because as we know, unfortunately, he isn't signing anymore. Yes. Tragic, but true. John sports cards. Hey, Brian, how can I get leaf to send my channel product to showcase on my channel? Yeah. A lot of people reach out to us and want to do like, they ask if we have sample boxes for box breaks or previews and things like that. Honestly, the number of previews we get would double our print run. You know, it's just, we just yeah. can't at this stage. And honestly, it's not that we don't want to help support, you know, the blog and that, but that's why I do. I spend time on every little show that invites me. You know, I go, oh, you do the, sorry, you do the little shows too. No, I do little shows too. Not this one. This is a big show, but like I go on shows all the time. That, I go on shows all the time where I bet there's 20 viewers or someone wants to do an interview for a pot for like a, a blog. And I don't know if anyone's going to read it or not, but I feel like that's where I can really invest in helping to educate, improve awareness, improve brand awareness, 
be an advocate for our industry, all those things. So I choose to make that my contribution. It'd be easier for me to send out boxes and give my time up because I, can, I can't replace my time. I can replace the boxes. Yeah. But I feel like the time is a better use of our assets. I think that's really gen- I think it's generous of you. And I think it's important that you go on some of the starter type of podcasts and shows because some of them are going to go and grow into bigger shows. And, you know, they, they get and a lot, even when, even myself, you know, having good guests early was a great way to, to launch the show and turn it in to keep it growing and evolving. So I encourage you to keep on doing that. But, but, like, more but, even, but even in our pre-show, you asked me, is there anything you want us to promote or anything? And what do I answer every time? No, not really. I didn't I ask you that this time. I asked yeah. you last time. I didn't ask you I, that today. I don't need to promote. I don't need to promote anything. The product cool. sells. It's good. I asked you if you wanted me to put anything on the ticker for you. But yeah, I yeah, say- yeah, yeah. But I'm saying generally people ask me, well, what do you want to promote? And I'm like, I'm not here to promote stuff. I'm here to talk about the industry. You're a hobbyist. I'm a hobbyist. That's the difference. And that's where you're going to lose it when you have some Ivy League grad running a company versus a, still a grad, but a card collecting grad. Yeah, you know? yeah. Legion with seven rounds of applause. That's pretty good from Legion. Thank you so much, Legion. Uh, what do we have here? Charles says, Eddie Shack is an auto I think is underrated. Such an icon in hockey. Also sold Christmas trees. What's not to like? <laughs> Can't forget his pop shop commercial. Mikey with a, look at this. We are on fire tonight with the tips. Thank you, Mike. Super sticker. Like, I, I don't really know what these things mean, but that's pretty darn cool. Thank but you, I Mike. Say that's $2 Canadian. What's that, like 40 cents? Just kidding. Oh, that's why it's blue. That's, maybe that's why it's blue. blue I know money. it's $1.50, but still. Yeah. Blue money. Thank you, M-K-E-M. Oz Cardad, maybe Brian can go for the longest show if he can't get most views. Longest show right now actually belongs to Brian from the vendor of when Brian purchased in the game from Dr. Brian Price. Another Brian, Dr. Brian Price holds the record for the longest episode of Sports Cards Live. Jay says, BG, any plan to produce F1 cards? No. Okay, nice quick answer. Let's leave it at that. We are again at the bottom of the comments, guys. Awesome. Thank you, everybody, for jumping in tonight. Brian, I mean, <laughs> or he can set the record for most tips on a show. Maybe. I think it's already, it's actually done. You've got that record right here tonight, Brian. This side over here is where you want to put the BG tips, not that side over there. <laughs> All right, man. We I think we covered most of uh, everything that we kind of planned on. We got we talked about the PSA deal at length at the beginning. Lots of other things. Any you know any final comments, guys? Put them out there. We'll bring them out. We'll do some final uh, thoughts from Brian. Maybe some from myself. I will remind everybody this Saturday. Former NHL goaltender Joe Daly, also a guy who's in the industry, owns a, sh- a card shop in Winnipeg that he's had. Gosh, for over 30 years. So that will be pretty, pretty awesome. Be sure to check that out. Next Wednesday, guys, no show. I will actually be a guest speaker on Sports Card Investors and eBay's holiday virtual. So you'll want to check that out streaming on YouTube. And then we've got a couple more shows coming. We'll see where the the holidays bring us in terms of content, but uh, planning to keep this going, guys. So appreciate everybody being here. Everybody taking part lots of comments rolling in guys i appreciate it um brian we're at two hours 20 minutes what do you got summarize this thing what, what do you want what do you want to leave everybody with I mean, listen all i can say is i've never been more excited about our industry i'm a total bull 
And just, I mean, you have to trust me, the PSA purchase is the first of what will probably be many in the next six to 12 months. I think you're going to see a lot of transactions in this industry and every one of them. I hope you can see the vision that these people who are spending massive amounts of money to buy into this business, they see it. I hope you can see it too. And you, and you, as you see these deals, you'll start to figure out that there is a big, massive trend for this industry to take a huge jump. We've taken a big jump, but we're about to take a huge jump. And it's just, I mean, it's exciting. I mean, we put up with a lot. We went through a lot of hard times in this hobby. 94 baseball strike, overproduction a few times, you know. We've gone through some tough periods in the hobby. You know, financial crisis. We went through some tough spots. Yeah. But to come out like this? It's resilient. It truly is a Cinderella story. And that's fantastic. So that's what I just leave you with, hey, I, I couldn't be more bullish. Again, I, I wish I wish some of the modern wax prices would be a little more easy to swallow because I, I don't like that it prices so many people out. And you can't buy a blaster box unless you know someone. It's unbelievable. Yeah. But uh, but you know, listen, it's gonna be it's it's an exciting time and it's better that people want our products in the marketplace than done. If there was no demand, we'd be whining that no one wants cards anymore. So, like, you know, let's complain because there's not enough cards to go around. Yeah. Well, listen, we we were going to wind down, but there's more stuff coming in, man. So I'm going to run through some more of these comments. All right, like we got we got you here. We will we'll get you back maybe January, early February type of thing. I don't make sure I get my fourth appearance before anybody else. That's well, I can. You know what? You asked for it. I can promise you that. Uh, Chris says, "Have you ever considered doing a product uh, like a documentary that shows a product start to finish?" Would love to, but honestly, we can't even get on the we can't even go on the floor of the factories ourselves anymore. They won't even let us in the factory where they print and cut. You're with vendor, COVID, it's even worse. With COVID, it's even worse. Of but honestly, they don't want us coming and meddling. They want us to hand the job over. They'll give it to us to make sure we're happy with it. But we're not even allowed to go. So we can't. We couldn't even show you video of the of the process anyway anymore. So you're talking, this is because you outsource the printing. When you say we, you mean Leaf and the other card companies as well? Yeah, all the card companies. None of us print our own stuff. So when there we farm go. that out, no one's letting us on the floor. I mean, maybe they'll let you on the floor to look at one thing, but they're not letting you hang out there and watch the process. No way. So like right. we couldn't do that, but I'll tell you, I've considered writing a book about the last 30 years in the hobby, which again, I can barely get these products. I got to focus so much on Leaf. I can't even think about it, but I will someday write a book. Maybe yeah. after we get bought, you know, maybe I'll do that. Do it. Do it. I'll buy it. I'll read it for sure. BG is so down to earth, says God Sports Cards. Very nice. Thank you very much for that. Garrett yeah. says, can you can you get Lance Johnson and more of your products? I know he wasn't a big star, but he's my PC. Hook it up, BG. Leave you with that. Brad Humber, any thoughts on doing a sports entertainment cross product, i.e. a card with an auto of Drake and Steph Curry or Spike Lee with the New York Knicks legend? Could happen. Could happen. We could do Rocky. Hey, how great would a Sly Stallone Mike Tyson duel be? That's pretty awesome. Cool. Yeah, that'd be cool. That's be pretty cool. awesome. That'd be cool. Oz Cardad, let's all tip Brian, then he can reinvest it for us back into the hobby for sure, for sure. Joe, Jeremy, how about getting Nat on it? Yeah, I love the A on the end, Joe. California Joe puts the A on, on the end for the Canadian. <laughs> I would love to. I'd love to get Nat on, Joe. Of course, I would 100% for sure. Gareth, he played baseball in the 90s, by the way. Way to you may as well clarify in case uh Brian doesn't know who Lance Johnson is, Gareth. Good on you. Yamwax, Brian makes me say, Holy cow, he's right every time he guests. Awesome conversation. Thank you, Yam. Always great to have you in the audience. Will Amit ever be auto? Will Amit's auto ever be on a card? That's 
Well, thanks, Charles. We'll keep on going though. Maybe you're <laughs> a buyback. You can't buy blasters unless you have a bot or camp at the store. That seems to be the situation right now. Bought upper deck hobby box and the cards are damaged at the corners. I've seen some rounded corners on some of the young guns myself. Not, I just think they're just die cut. Maybe they're just die cut now. Uh, Disco says he's always an amazing guest every time. Thank you, Disco, on behalf of Brian. Let's get some more in big investors to jump in and add fuel to the fire. Thank you, gents. Thank you, Ziggy, Spike Lee, and Reggie Miller. Good show again. Thank you, Paul. End of the comments, Brian. Let's wrap this up, everybody. Thank you so much for joining. BG, thank you for being a three-time guest on the main episode, main get show. ready four, for five, a four-peat, baby. We'll get you to four. We'll get you to four. Everybody else, thank you all for joining. This was awesome tonight. Hope you enjoyed it. Hit that thumbs up button if you liked it. Hit that thumbs up button if you didn't like it. Subscribe to the channel, all that stuff. Appreciate you guys. We'll see you back here on Saturday. Good night, everybody. Yeah, guys. Stay there, Brian. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.